Hello, hello, boys and girls. We are up here doing a breakdown for UFC 283 coming up this Saturday, the 21st of January with a 6 p.m. Eastern start time. We got 15, yeah, 15 total bouts in the card. Lots of action. Two title fights. The main event's going to be Glover Teixeira against Jamal Hill for the light heavyweight strap. And then the co-main events, two guys you may have heard of before, Davis and Figueredo versus uh, Brandon Moreno for like the 10th time or the fourth time, whatever. They're going to be fighting for the flyweight championship bout. So it's a full card, lots of action. Join us here for the full breakdown. We're going to go over each fight, one fight at a time, give our, our pick for each fight. Who like to win, the method to victory, some stats, whatever else. Sometimes long-winded, but we try to give you our, our pick on the beginning of each video. So if you have to fast forward, you click the little timestamps down below, do all that stuff. But let's jump into it, guys. Here we go. Okay, first fight in the card is going to be a bantamweight battle at 135 pounds between Daniel Marcos and Simon Oliveira. Now, Mr. Oliveira will be the hometown kid here fighting out of Brazil. And you've got Daniel Marcos from Peru, so not terribly far from home. Well, probably pretty far on a map, but you get the idea. They're both South American fighters, and I'll get the pick out of the way for those who need to fast forward and move on in the video. We are going to go with Simon Oliveira to win by submission. That is our prediction. I do want to acknowledge these guys have a lot in common. They're both former contender series fighters. They're both looking for their first win in the UFC and, uh, you know, even similar age group. I think the bump is going towards Simon Oliveira, not just because he's from Brazil and he's fighting at home, but also because of the submission ability, which we'll talk more about. So looking at the basics in these two fighters, Mr. Marcos, who goes by Songora, is currently the number six ranked, I guess, fighter. According to Tapology, that probably is not correct, considering he is brand new to the division, so you have to scrap that. Sometimes on Tapology, they have uh, information that's not accurate. That's not a blow to Tapology. I do like Tapology. Anyway, Mr. Marcos is 13-0, undefeated fighter. He's a plus 150 to plus 140 underdog currently. I mentioned before, he's out of Peru, 29 years old in 10 months, so about to be 30 years old. Five foot seven in height. That's notable because he's going to have about a three-inch height advantage over Oliveira. He's a 68-inch reach, so about a one-inch reach advantage over his opponent. And Mr. Marcos trains out of Los Perros Sarnosos. I know Los Perros means uh, the dogs. I guess the dogs of Sarnosos, whatever uh, Sarnosos means. Okay, as for Simon Oliveira from Brazil, 18-4 overall, 4-1 his last five fights. Favorite here about minus 190, almost 2-1 favorite. He's out of Catarina, Brazil, 31 years old, 5'4 in height with a 66.9-inch reach. And he's out of Astra Fight Team. I believe he's got a teammate on this card, uh, Josiana Nunes, who's also out of Astra Fight Team. Good gym. Um, you, you see that, that, that gym come up often when we're doing breakdowns of fighters in the UFC. So they've got a stable of good athletes there. Okay, let's look at the numbers here. So for Mr. Marcos, his average fight time is 15 minutes. Granted, that's one... You know, two fights in the UFC, uh, the Contender Series fight, and the, let me double check here. I don't want to give you guys misinformation. So for Marcos, that is a sample size of one fight, his Contender Series fight against Brandon Lewis. And for Simone Oliveira, the sample size is only two fights, the Contender Series and his first fight against Tony Gravely. I want to mention this because we're going to go over those stats real quick. But they're not like if you're talking about a fighter who's been 10 fights or so uh, in, in the UFC, and they have a 10, 10 fight sample size. With only one or two fights, it doesn't give us an accurate picture. So for Marcos, he's fought 19 total fights between amateur, pro, boxing, grappling, the whole deal. 
His average fight time is 15 minutes. He lands 5.40 strikes per minute and absorbs 3.00 strikes per minute. So that's a good ratio and a good active output. 0%, I'm sorry, 84% takedown defense with zero takedowns per 15 minutes. Again, one fight, so we haven't seen him try a takedown quite yet. We developed a new category called uh, a report card. We're going to give a report card for each fighter, and it's pretty simple. There's experience, cardio, striking, fighter IQ, finishing ability, and grappling. These are our six categories, and so we give each fighter a grade for those categories, and then we give them a cumulative GPA. For Daniel Marcos, we're giving him a D in the experience category. This is an A through F graded system, so a D for experience, a D for cardio, a C for striking, a C for fighter IQ, a D for finishing ability, and an F in grappling because we don't know. It's an open open area, right? So he's a low GPA for now, which is common with all of the young fighters. So don't take it as like, you know, he's a failing fighter. It's just that he's young in the game, needs more experience. So we're giving him a 1.16 fighter GPA. Now for his biography, he went 6-0 and as an amateur before going pro in 2015. He was on contender series last year. He won his fight by decision. Both fighters actually in this fight won their fight by decision on contender series. He fought Brad Lewis. He was a slight dog and uh, did a nice job of dropping Brad Lewis in round one. So don't, don't get to finish, but did a good job. Look poised. What's to like here by Mr. Marcos? His striking, clean, accurate, good combinations. He can fight at both stances and very strong kicks. My concern is for him, limited experience. He stands a bit tall. His chin's up there, very hittable. And then his cardio, um, though he did win the fight in contender series and he had a nice first round, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog in the throat, <clears throat> and got the win, it was nice, and obviously he's getting a UFC contract, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't bad. There was more positives than negatives, right? He did look tired in round three, was disengaging, and was the person that was trying to move away. Just putting it out there. Now, as for Simone Oliveira, born in 1991 from Brazil, 31 years old, out of Astra Fight Team, he's a Muay Thai slash grappler, style fighter, right-handed fighter. So he'll be in the <clears throat> orthodox stance the entire time the fight's going on. But you will see Marcos switch back and forth. He's fought 22. So I'm on that, Oliver, that is 22 total combat sports fights. And he's averaging a fight time of 15 minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So after two fights, one in contender series and one in the UFC against Gravely, he's been a distance twice. He averages 2.73 strikes per minute, absorbs 3.10. For those paying attention, that's again landing 2.73 per minute and absorbing 3.10. That is a negative striking ratio. He lands about a takedown and a half per 15 minutes or three-round fight and has 31% takedown defense himself. For his report card, we gave him a 1.83 GPA the biggest areas of deficiency for him are striking, where we gave him a D grade in fighter IQ. He went professional in 2013 with no amateur experience, and he's accomplished. And he's an accomplished, excuse me, BJJ practitioner. He trains at a good gym, as we mentioned before, Astro Fight Team. His last opponent was Tony Gravely last year. He was a plus 200 underdog. Lost the fight by decision. I think we had picked him to win, but Gravely put on a good performance. And if you don't know about Gravely, he's a former state champion wrestler, very good, so on and so on. He won against Jose Alde, not Jose Aldo, Jose Alde, 2021, about two years ago, on Contender Series as a minus 165 favorite, and that's what got him, or punched his ticket to the UFC. 
What's to like about our boy here, Oliveira? Submission ability. Very active, very good at submissions. 11 of his 18 wins have been by submission. So there you go. He'll have a slight experience edge here, not just because he has a few more fights under his belt, but he's also fought a full UFC fight already. So a little more experience than his opponent. <clears throat> now, what are my concerns for someone Oliveira? Well, submission over position. You hear that phrase a lot. Uh, we all know what that means. It's pretty self-explanatory. Watch a little bit of film on someone Oliveira. He will pull guard. <laughs> he will pull guard uh, from a stand-up position. I want to say that he attempted the guillotine choke and like kind of pulled guard against Gravely maybe six, seven, <laughs> hell, maybe 10 times in that fight. Uh, not kidding. It, it, it's okay if it works after a certain point, you know, you're, you're going for something, you get the submission. But in that fight against Gravely, it resulted in him giving a position, I think almost every single time. <clears throat> so an attempt at a submission ends up with him on his back, former, you know, college, high school wrestler. It, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a good recipe for him, right? Recipe for disaster and my other concern for mr Oliveira is fighter iq okay so it kind of ties into the submission over position if if it's not working for you settle down okay he's also if you go back to his contender series fight you got to go back and watch this because i think if i explain it it won't do it justice he tries like seven or eight spinning related strikes in maybe the first two minutes of the fight <laughs> so you know We've all seen that fighter who's like, all right, enough. You've tried that spinning thing already. It's, you know, or whatever, spinning heel kick or, or something wild. I shouldn't say wild. Something that's high energy, unique. You can sort of see it coming. If you see it once or twice as the opponent, you see it coming. He tries a bunch of spinning stuff. And it just, to me, like kind of red flag. This guy's young in the fight game. Young, I mean, not a young person. He's about 30 years old, but young in the fight game. And, you know, the excitement, you know, you want to get, I mean, what fighter wouldn't want a spinning back fist, spinning back elbow knockout, like on contender series or something early in their career. It's the difference between like huge early success and maybe taking the long road. So I get that from that perspective. But again, I, I kind of have some fighter IQ concerns. All right, looking at some additional notes here, I have these two fighters. Well, let's talk about the betting spots, the spots that I think are the most attractive, at least attractive to us that we'll be having some action on. We like Simon by round one submission, Simon by submission at any point, and the fight does not go the distance. Those are the three spots we're going to have some action on. In terms of the money line, you currently got Marcos at plus 135 to plus 140 and Oliveira around minus 160 or so. That seems about right. And if you're going to press me to bet on the money line, I guess I'm going to have to consider going Marcos because the value's there not because I think he's going to win. Um, it's just a plus money. Now, I don't feel confident enough either way to play their side, and we won't have any action on the money line. That I can assure you. Well, with the exception of our lottery parlay. That's the one where we choose every single fight. But <clears throat> for Oliveira, I think that, uh, you know, the book is still, you know, not out on him. We don't know. And for Marcos, the same thing. But one more factor is Oliveira being at home. He'll have the fans behind him. He's going to be juiced up. I see the fight, you know, going at least maybe to the second round, even though I do have the round one submission prop here for Simone, it probably gets into round number two. Um, at some point, the energy, the crowd, the first fight in the card, you know, they're breaking the seal. Um, I think we see some explosiveness, we see some fireworks, and then possibly some kind of a, a finish. And so I think the fight knock with a distance may be one of the best props. I apologize for not having numbers on those props, but at the time of this video, which is actually on Wednesday, so kind of late in this week, 
the props for this fight have not come out yet. So, but again, we like Simon by round one submission, Simon by submission in general, and the fight not going the distance. Um, just a few more numbers here. I want to make sure I'm hitting upon everything and not leaving you guys without any talking points that we had here for these two. Um, yeah, well, that's the breakdown, guys. If you have any comments, any ideas for how this fight's going to work out, in your opinion, leave them down below. Uh, let's move on to the next fight on the, on the card. All right, here we go. Moving up the fight card, we've got a bantamweight battle at 135 pounds between Cody Stamen, the American fighter, who goes by Spartan. That's a nice nickname, Cody Spartan Stamen. Up against Luan Lizarda, who is from Brazil. That'll be a common theme on this fight card. The fight card is uh, it's in being held in Brazil, right? And they have a lot of Brazilians on the card, which which makes perfect sense, right? So Mr. Luan, not Juan, Luan Lacerda, he's 12-1 and one overall. He's a currently a dog at what, plus 250, now plus 280, actually moved a little bit. So money is coming in on Cody Stamen. And I'll tell you right now, before we get further into this breakdown, we do like Cody Stamen to win the fight by decision. That's currently priced at minus 130. Um, yeah, I think by decision seems to be the most realistic path to victory for Cody Stamen, but we like him to win either way. It will be parlaying Cody at minus 340 range on the money line. Okay, so back to the details in these two fighters. Uh, talking about Luan. All right, so a 12-1 overall record, plus 250 range on the money line, plus 270 now, I'm sorry, plus 280. Um, at a Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 30 years old, 5'7 in height with a 73-inch reach, and he trains out of Nova Uniao, a very, very good gym down in Brazil. As for the Spartan, Mr. Stamen, 25-1 and one overall, 2-3 and three in his last five fights. A favorite here at the minus 350 range. Right, minus 350, I keep forgetting here. Cody, minus 340. Currently sitting at minus 340, but he's in that uh, in that ballpark. He's out of Sparta, Michigan. Ah, hence the nickname Spartan, right? 33 years old, 5'6", so giving up 1 inch in height. With a 64 and a half inch reach. Now, there's something notable. He'll be giving up at least oh, somewhere in the range of nine inches to 10 inches in reach uh, to his opponent. Fortunately for Cody Stamen, he's a bit of a wrestler, has a wrestling background, wrestled in college, I believe, and should know how to close the distance. In terms of the gym, Cody Stamen trains out of Extreme Couture. Very good gym. As for the numbers on topology, Stamen is the favorite, getting 63% of the votes, 37% coming in for Lacerda. I actually would have thought there would have been more coming in for Stamen, but then again, the Brazilian fan base is strong. They're out there supporting their people, right? Okay, looking at the numbers in these two fighters, looking at Luan Lacerda first, 30 years old, born and raised in Brazil, right-handed fighter. He's a bit of a grappler. That's what I would describe him as. So he can fight in the feet, but grappling is where he butters his bread. He's fought 13 total fights between amateur, pro, boxing, grappling, etc. We have no fighter stats on him, so no average fight time, you know, strikes landed per minute, so on and so on, because this will be his full-on debut, first fight in the UFC, has had no experience in the UFC, nothing on the Ultimate Fighter, nothing on Contender Series. His last two fights were in the LFA. Okay, so his last fight was against a guy named Marcili Alves. That was last year. Had a round two submission win. He was a minus rated favorite. His prior fight, his prior fight, excuse me, Tyrone Pedro, 2021 round two submission win, also in LFA. 
as a minus 400 favorite. So he's been favored in his last two fights. He's come out there as a submission guy, got the submission, got it done. What's to like about him? Well, his submission attack seems to be working thus far. Nine of his last 10 wins have been by submission. The LFA experience is notable. If you don't know LFA, I would say comparable to Cage Warriors, right? You know, that's the level that I think LFA is at. And if you just, you know, do some searching around topology, you'll find a ton of people in the UFC that have made their way through LFA. So I, I respect the promotion. They have good athletes. Last two fights in LFA, 2-0, finishes within the first two rounds. Seems to be worthy of a shot in the UFC. LFA experience is his best experience. I say everything else in his record would be, yeah, <laughs> kind of like, you know, preschool. Has a very nice kicking game. So it's hard, hits hard, um, accurate. Excuse me here, I had a little bit of a camera issue. Uh, anyway, he hits you hard with his kicks. There's a variety of them. And uh, something that his opponent will have to be paying attention to. Now, what's my concerns for him? What are the issues or downsides? Pros versus cons, what are the cons? His competition, other than those two LFA fights, he just simply has not fought anybody notable. We just don't know the full gamut of what he's capable of. And this will be the UFC debut quite far from home. I imagine at least a few of the fighters debuting at this event are going to be shook by the crowd, the noise, you know, you're far from home, everything's different, the environment, food. I mean, it, it just, everything's different, right? And, and he's not at home. <laughs> this is not his home base. So... You know, those might be some factors, and I wonder how he deals with the pressure. Actually, did I just say that he's not home when he's clearly the, the home fighter? Yeah, let, let me let me back up on everything I just said about Luan Lacerda. He is the home fighter. He's the one who will be in his home court. Cody Stamen is the one who's going to be outside of his element. And from that standpoint, there's still the UFC debut. There's still the pressure of your family and friends and being there in front of, you know, the home crowd. But at least he will have the home cooking and family and friends to support it's like a double-edged sword. What was, was the uh, heavyweight fighter who doesn't fight well in Texas? Oh, the name is just not ringing a bell, but one of the heavyweights, big guy, black guy, who claims to not fight well in Texas because he's too close to home and his people, whatever. All right, enough of that. Cody Stamen, born in 1989, American fighter, 33 years old, out of extreme couture. He's a boxer wrestler, fights out of a right-handed orthodox stance. Has fought 34, excuse me, combined fights between amateur, pro, boxing, etc. Average fight time of about 12 minutes. Lands 4.19 strikes per minute. Absorbs 3.39 per minute. Has a takedown defense of 75%. And averaging 2.76 takedowns per 15 minutes. We gave him a 2.17 GPA. So again, that's his report card based upon his experience, cardio, striking, fighter IQ, Finishing ability and grappling and the one area that we found him deficient in was in finishing ability We gave him a D out of a grading system of A through F Looking at his background. He's from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Excuse me. Grand Rapids, Michigan has a blue belt in BJJ Began boxing at 16 years old. He went 19 and 1 as an amateur before going pro in 2010 He's a former division two <clears throat> Excuse me college wrestler. He won performance of the night in the UFC on one occasion and he made his UFC debut in 2017, about six years ago. He has a he has a UFC record, excuse me, of six, four, and one overall. His last three opponents, he fought Eddie Wineland last year, round one KO win. He was a minus 650 favorite, and he got her done. Fought Saeed Nurmagomedov, 2021, about two years ago. Lost via round one submission. That's one area of his game that's a little bit weak is the submission defense. We'll talk more about that. He was an underdog there against Saeed at a plus... 
155 on the uh, money line. And then one more fight to talk about. Marab Devashlili. That's a tough name. Doesn't roll off the tongue. So he fought Marab in 2021, lost by decision as a plus 210 underdog. That loss has aged well. Marab's on a bit of a streak, looking good. What's to like here about Mr. Stamen, the American wrestler? Well, the wrestling background. He's got, an, he's got a massive amount of accomplishments, high school and college. So he can do that. That part of his game is there. His cardio. He can wrestle you for all three rounds. <laughs> so he's the kind of guy who doesn't go away. He'll keep that pace and pressure. He'll, keep, he'll lean on you. He'll scrape you down. His chin. He has never been KO'd before. He has been submitted twice, but never been knocked out or TKO'd. His competition level far exceeds what his opponent has faced. So, you know, guys like Yudong Song, Aljamain Sterling, Tabashvili, Saeed Namagomedov, those are the type of people that he's fought against. And obviously, in the case of Luan Lasarda, who's making his UFC debut, he has had nothing like that, you know, on his resume. He's also a power puncher. He doesn't have a lot of TKO finishes on his resume, but just look at him when he fights. He throws with some heat and some bombs, attacks the body. If something lands, I could see him putting, you know, Luan's lights out early. Now, what are the concerns for Cody Stamen? Submission defense we mentioned before. So he has been submitted in two of his five defeats. So it's not a big number, but that includes two fights to go against Saeed Magomedov. It's just something that we've seen, a chink in the armor, all right? Maybe he never gets submitted again, but he has been submitted twice in his five losses. Striking on the feet. It makes sense. A former wrestler wrestled him almost his entire, you know, early part of his life. Picks up the striking at, at a later point. So the striking is wrestler-esque striking, looping, leaning, uh, not technically perfect, but, you know, if he lands something hard, it, it gets the job done. And then limited finishing ability. He has six finishes and 26 total mixed martial arts fights, yet only six finishes. And I'm not knocking the guy, hey, I'm not in there fighting, right? It's not easy to, to get anything done in that cage. So just the fact that he's got a winning record and he's in the UFC, kudos to Cody Stamen. But the numbers are what the numbers are. And so he only has six finishes in 26 total mixed martial arts fights. All right. So looking here a little closer at these two fighters, a few notes I have. For Lasarda, he likes to grapple, has an effective submission game. Nine of his last 10 wins have been by submission. So there you go. Nine of his last 10 wins have been by submission. That's going to be his path to victory. That's what we think he'll try to do. Cody Stamen, pretty good wrestler, pretty good grappling game in general, should be able to defend himself against submissions. The prop bets that we like for this fight, or the bets in general that we like for this fight, we like the fight going over a round and a half, which is a little chalky at minus 350. The fight starts round three, and Lasarda by submission at plus 425. Now, the fight starting round three prop is not out yet. When it comes out, we'll take a look at that. That over one and a half at minus 350, it is chalky. We'll parlay it. That'll be in our picks for the week. If you're subscribed to our newsletter, you get those picks. It's free newsletter, free content. Uh, we release those picks usually about three days ahead of the event because the props are not out until about three days before the event. But again, subscribe to our newsletter. That link's down below in the YouTube description here if you're listening on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, you're going to have to go over and check out our YouTube channel to get the link for our newsletter, which is run through Substack. Great newsletter, has breakdowns each week of all the UFC events, some Bellator stuff, Invicta, and then uh, there'll be picks in a, in a separate uh, newsletter that comes out with all the picks of who we're going with in advance of the card if you decide to trail us. And then, of course, the results come out each week as well. We let you know how we did, and we did positive last week. 
back to this. So we like, let's start up by submission at plus 425. We're going to sprinkle that because he's a submission guy. He is in Brazil. You know, 20 bucks, whatever. It's lunch money. Throw it out the window. If he wins, great. You get a winner there. Fight starts round three and the over one and a half. So the price for statement in the money line is way too chalky to consider playing straight up. I mean, for the people out there who don't do quick math, if he's minus 340, that means you have to put $340 up to make 100 No, no can do, no bueno not doing that. If you're going to have to bet the money line, I think you have to consider Luan Lasardo because he's at home, submission ability, yada, yada, yada. But for me, parlaying Cody Stamen with a high level of confidence. And again, we'll have those parlays available. Maybe not at the end of this video. I'll try the best I can to squeeze that in. But if not, it's available on our newsletter. That's the breakdown there for Luan Lasardo, the Brazilian versus Cody Stamen. And we're on Cody Stamen to win the fight. Bye. Moving up the card, we've got our first women's bout, featherweight bout at 145 pounds between Josiana Nunes from Brazil and Zara Farron from France. The pick is going to be Josiana Nunes. We like Josiana Nunes to win the fight in round one by knockout. And that prop is priced at plus 185, a little bit better than the money line here. We have Nunes currently at minus 520. If you like Farron, now's the time to bet on her. She's plus 410. Actually, it might grow a little bit. So if you're going to bet on Sarah Farron, maybe wait a little bit closer to the fight time. Maybe you could find her around plus 450 or so. All right, let's get into the breakdown of these two fighters. Again, it's a featherweight bout. Josiana Nunes is the hometown fighter from Brazil, 9-1 overall. Big favorite, 29 years old, 5'2 in height. She usually is the smaller fighter, so she's accustomed to dealing with having shorter arms, being a little bit shorter than her opponent. But she makes up with that or makes up for that, excuse me, in some other ways, which we'll talk about. And for Nunez, she has 67-inch reach. She's at a striker's house for her uh, gym of training. As for the French fighter, Zara Farron, who goes by Infinite, she's 6-4 and four overall, so just hovering slightly above 500, 3-2 in her last five fights. A big underdog, as we mentioned before, 36 years old, 5'8 in height, so about a 6-inch height advantage over her opponent, and a 73.2-inch reach, so about a 5 inch reach advantage she trains out of actually on topology it has her at a fight move academy but i believe that she has moved over to a figueredo gym and so it's been like a life-changing thing that she picked up made a big move uh to go and fight at a place where she thought she could make some improvements we'll see how she does in the uh, new environment uh coming back from quite a bit of a layoff which we'll talk about let's look here first at miss nunez born in 1993 29 years old from brazil she's a southpaw She's a boxer slash brawler. When things are going her way, she's in your face, throwing big looping shots, landing them, hurting you, and putting you down. She's fought 11 total fights between amateur and pro, boxing, exhibition, all those, uh, all those different activities combined, 11 total fights. Her average fight time, surprisingly, is nine minutes and 57 seconds. I would have thought it would have been like three or four minutes because she's such a finisher, but you kind of forget she has been a decision in some recent fights like when she went against Ramon Pasquale. I mean, she hurt Pasquale, but it still went the full distance. So anyway, she's averaging about 10 minutes of fight time. She lands 7.54 strikes per minute and absorbs 4.37. You like that high output, good ratio. She's averaging zero takedowns for 15 minutes, so she's not much of a takedown uh, artist or a wrestler. That's not really part of her arsenal. And she has 70% takedown defense. We'll talk more about that 70% as we go through her, her details. We gave her a 2.0 GPA. Her biggest area of deficiency on our grading system was in her grappling. So we gave her a D for a grade uh, under grappling. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. 
Again, she's from Brazil. She went professional in 2013. She went 1-0 as an amateur. She fought in Katana and Fours FC prior to the UFC. She made her UFC debut about two years ago, 2021, and she's currently undefeated at 2-0 in the UFC. Her last few opponents, she fought Bay Malecki, 2021, round one KO win. She was a plus 135 underdog, and she walked through Malecki like a hot hot, hot, hot knife through butter. <laughs> I'm sorry, lost my train of thought there. That was her UFC debut, I believe, and it was uh, a nice way to splash onto the scene. Her next fight, which was her last fight, was against Ramona Pasquale, and I believe she was fighting up in weight, and she was still underweight in that fight, and if you look at the film, you could see she's much smaller than, you know, Ramona Pasquale's healthy, put it that way. She wins the fight by decision. She knocks down Pasquale several times, beats up her face, does some serious damage. As a minus 240 favorite, she got the job done, and she got the win easily. There was only one butt in that fight. She gets taken down, Josiana Nunes, that is, in every round of that fight, and it was more towards the end of the round. So it ends up not being, I guess, a consequential detail on the scorecards because it wasn't really close otherwise. But you see that her takedown defense is not great. And maybe had Ramona Pasquale gotten those takedowns earlier in the rounds, we could have seen maybe a closer fight in general. Maybe could have even gone her way. Now, what's the like here about Nunez? Her KO power. Number one, her KO ability is documented. <laughs> She has KO finishes within two rounds in five of her last six fights. Yeah, this this little woman here from Brazil can knock people out. And she knocked down, of course, her last opponent, Pasquale. So it wasn't a, a fight where she got a finish, but she did knock her down several times. Her cardio has looked pretty good. For a person who throws so much heat and throws big power punches, she did look pretty fresh in round three against Ramona Pasquale. So that was a good sign. And of course, she's undefeated in the UFC. Now, what are the concerns for, for Nunez? Number one, the ground game. If she were to fight someone who had a very good ground game, this could expose some of the weaknesses. In this matchup here, conveniently enough, she's not facing that kind of a fighter, so this should not be an issue. I think Nunez, at this point in her career, is the prototypical one-dimensional type of fighter. Power puncher, needs to land something really solid between rounds to get those rounds or to knock someone out and hurt them. If that part of her game is neutralized, which again would be through a ground attack, that could expose again how she's one-dimensional. And then getting off balance. Of course, throwing these you know, Mike Tyson-esque, you know, you're dipping your shoulder, coming back up, throwing a big power punch. It can leave you off balance. And at times she'll be off balance. Again, that would be an opportunity for a counter puncher or someone who's a counter uh, takedown artist to take advantage of her. I don't know that it happens in this matchup, but it's just parts of her game that needs to be shored up if she wants to have uh, some long-term success in the UFC. Now, moving over to Zara Farron, the French fighter, born in 1986. She's 36 years old, so a few years older. Again, recently made a big move to a, a new gym where she's training with some good partners. She's a boxer, striker, kickboxer, likes to work at range, and she's a right-handed fighter. Again, Nunes is a southpaw. So for Zara Farron, her average fight time is 3 minutes and 47 seconds, and that's not because she's finishing people in 3 minutes and 47 seconds. We'll talk about how this is happening, but she does not seem to get out of the first round. She has 10 total fights between MMA, boxing, amateur, so on and so on. She's landing about two strikes per minute and absorbing 6.61. Yeah, have to sort of rub my eyes there. Absorbing 6.61 strikes per minute while dishing out two. That is negative. That's a negative striking ratio, one of the worst striking ratios that uh, I've seen in a minute. So yeah, that's not a good, not a good stat there for her. She has zero takedowns thus far in the UFC. 
and she take her takedown defense is 50%. I do not imagine takedown defense is going to be much of a factor in this fight. I don't imagine so. Could someone get into some like twisty feet, fall down, land on top of each other, have some ground control? Yeah, but the ground game shouldn't be much of a, a part of this, this event. All right, so as for her report card, of course, we're getting her a low grade for several reasons. Her fighter IQ is in question, finishing ability, no grappling, experience. So she's got a 1.17 GPA coming in with quite a low grade. There's a lot of question marks about her as we're going to talk about. She's coming off of a big layoff. Some background information on Zara Farron. She's from France, made her pro debut in 2013, so about 10 years ago, had no amateur experience. Made her UFC debut about four years ago, 2019 versus Megan Anderson. And she's currently winless excuse me, in the UFC with an 0-2 record. So we got fighters kind of going in different directions. You got 2-0 Nunez versus 0-2 Zara Farron in the UFC. Who has Zara Farron fought in the UFC? Well, Felicia Spencer, 2020, around one TKO loss. She was a plus 525 underdog, so she wasn't expected to win. But my goodness, she gets hammered in the first round, gets taken out of there pretty easily. And what you see in that fight is absolutely no ability to stand up, get up, defend herself, or even defend the takedowns, and Felicia just walks through her. Her fight before that was Megan Anderson, 2019. That was her UFC debut, excuse me, 2019, round one submission loss. As a plus 325 underdog, Mega Anderson's a good fighter. Not known for her round one finishing ability per se, but she's a good fighter. And so what can we take from these two fights? Well, we could take, number one, they were a long time ago, but they were her most recent fights. She hasn't fought in about three years, and she's getting finished in round one. Okay, so what's to like here about Zara Farron after I just <laughs> kind of shit on her there a little bit? But let me give you the things that I do like about Zara Farron. Her finishing ability, she has three KO finishes out of her six total wins, so that's about a 50% finish rate. Her size, she will have a size advantage in this fight, and she usually has a size advantage in general. Very long legs, long arms, will like to work at range, and if she could do that, she can have some success there. Has she made improvements? We assume layoffs are always a bad thing. Maybe she made some big improvements. We know she moved to a different gym. We know she's under a different training regimen. She wouldn't be the first fighter who took a layoff, made some improvements, came back, and we saw a, a not a whole different fighter, but a fighter who made some big improvements and has been, you know, uh, made some advancements, put it that way. Maybe she comes out here with some grappling skills that we didn't see before. It's been three years. What are my concerns for Zara? Well, the ground game. We talked about it. She's got zero takedowns thus far in, after several UFC fights. Her takedown defense is questionable at best, 50%. And Felicia Spencer literally meat grinded her ass on the ground for a short one round, you know, finish. Her consistency, whenever you're hovering around 500 after about 10 fights and she's doing that at six and four, you know, we have to bring up the fact that you're not winning multiple fights in a row very often. Maybe two fights in a row, you'll lose one. Win one, lose one. So she's inconsistent. Her durability, she has not made it out of round one in her last two fights. Granted, those fights were 2019, 2020. They were a while ago. She hasn't been out of round one in years, <laughs> in years. And so that is also not a good sign. And lastly, the activity. So the long layoff. She hasn't fought a fight in about three years. At this age, 36, it's not the prime period of your life to be taking these long layoffs. I mean, even fighters like Shevchenko who have the belt, who don't fight, let's say, three times a year, they still fight about twice a year, maybe one big fight per year. In the case of Zara Farn, last time she fought, she was 33. This is a big layoff at a critical point in her career. She's clearly now on the other side of 35. And for this division here, that's not, that's not usually voting well. Um, so a lot of big red flags there for, for me on uh, Zara Farron. Now, the spots I like for betting on this fight, the spots that we feel the most confidence in, we like Zara Farron by decision at plus 800. Why? Well, because you could put like $12 there to win 100 bucks. 
if Zara Theron wins this fight, it's most likely not going to be her knocking out Nunez, right? We can all conclude that. So at plus 800, uh, take, my take my money, take my money. Nunez by knockout is minus 125. I like that prop a lot. I might, I might even parlay it. I feel as if there's almost no other way this fight ends. It's just a matter of it's in the first 30 seconds, the first 60 seconds. A knockout in round one seems the most likely result here for Nunez. So knockout for Nunez anytime is minus 125. The fight not going to decision is minus 160. Again, feel like now you're giving 15 minutes here to Nunez to get a knockout at minus 160. Maybe you're even better off playing that instead of the knockout minus 125. Either way, the fight just simply knock with the distance at minus 160. It seems like to cover you covers you a few different ways. And then Nunez on the money line is a parlay piece. If you're going to do that, Deadline is approaching because right now with Nunes sitting at minus 520, yeah, that's almost outside my threshold. Once you're over like minus 450, minus 500, the value coming in on your parlay is so limited from that addition. It's just, yeah, not worth it. So if you're going to parlay Nunes, strike now or forever hold your piece because it's about to swell to a point where it's not going to be available. Uh, I, I thought from my first initial look at this fight that once the market gets a, a hold of like how volatile Nunez is in terms of a positive, like not volatile is the wrong word, how violent Nunez is <laughs> and how Zara Farron has been out the game for a while and, you know, finished in round one. If Nunez gets finished in round one, her topology would show that she's been finished in round one in her last three fights and had a three year layoff between the last two fights. It seems like almost a foregone conclusion. So, you know, bet with caution, always use good responsible betting habits here. But if you want to be aggressive about putting Nunez into parlays, I feel like you're in good waters. If you're going to take Nunez by a round one knockout, love that prop. And if you take Nunez by a knockout anytime, love that. She's not really known for her submission. She's more of a knockout person. But if you want to cover yourself on the flip side, let's say you have a few parlays going. Let's say you're invested heavily into Nunez winning this fight. Or let's say you've you know put a few hundred bucks on this prop that maybe she wins by knockout. Sprinkle the Zara by decision. It's almost like just a natural hedge. I mean, again, you could put 10, 20, 15 bucks on that to win over $100 at plus 800. So it's something that I would consider. That's the breakdown, guys, for Josiana Nunez versus Zara Farron. And again, we like Nunez to win the fight. Round one KO. Let's move on. I loved everything. Fire spreading all around my Next fight in the card is going to be a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between Warley Alves and Nicholas Dalby. Now, Mr. Alves is the hometown kid here from Brazil. He'll be the home fighter. And Dalby hails from Denmark. For those who have to move forward in the video, I'm going to give you the pick right now and get it out the way. We like Alves to win the fight by submission, most likely in round two. So Alves by submission, that is our pick. All right, back to this breakdown here. So for Worley Alves, he's 14-5 overall, 2-3 and three in his last five fights. Currently priced around a minus 115 to minus 120 range, so it's a pick em. And it actually opened at that price range, so we've had a, we've got his pick em price tag now for about a week or so, and I imagine it stays that way even up to the fight. Worley is from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 32 years old, 5'11", high with a 72-inch reach, and he trains out of X Gym. As for Nicholas Dalby, 24-1 overall, a little more experience. He's 3-1-1 in his last five fights. Again, he hails out of Denmark. He's currently priced around minus 105. He's from Copenhagen, Copenhagen, excuse me, Denmark, to be specific, 38 years old, so about six years older than his opponent. Five foot 11, same height with a 74 and a half inch reach, about a two and a half inch reach advantage there for Dalby. And Dalby trains out of Rumble Sports. Okay, 170 pound bout between two good fighters, very evenly matched. This was a tough breakdown. I found myself at times liking Dalby and his pace, his pressure, his wrestling, his general fight IQ. 
Then you see Alves' highlights of submissions and what he's capable of. You're like, yeah. And then you see Alves getting knocked out. And it's you know you go back and forth with this fight, but I think Alves, uh, the, the the recent layoff, the, a good layoff, about a year. You know, getting himself refocused. He's a younger fighter. He's going to be in Brazil. Yeah, I think the edge goes towards him, and I can see him pulling out a submission here. All right, let's go ahead and look at Worley Alves first. Details. 32 years old, from Brazil, trained out of X-Gym, orthodox fighter. So that means he's right-handed. He's had 22 total fights in his career. He averages 9 minutes and 47 seconds in the cage per fight. So about two full rounds. Lands 3.07 strikes per minute, but absorbs 3.63. That's a negative striking ratio. Not by a lot, but it is negative. Averages 1.42 takedowns per 15 minutes. It has a 78% takedown defense. Good takedown defense. It has some activity in the takedown department. We gave him a 2.67 GPA, pretty high GPA considering we're critical of most of the fighters. He got a B for fighter IQ, a B for finishing ability, a B for grappling. We graded him a B for experience, but we gave him a C for cardio and a C in striking. And if you know how Alves fights, striking is not really where he you know, pays the bills. It's more of a grappling submission experience. Looking at some details on his background, he made his pro debut 2011 at the age of 20 years old. He was the winner in Ultimate Fighter Brazil 2014. He made his UFC debut in 2014. And he began his UFC career 4-0 with three guillotine chokes in his first four fights. He has guillotine choke ability. It's there. Nicholas Dalby needs to be careful of trying double leg takedowns, exposing his neck. We'll talk more about that. Some recent opponents here for Mr. Alves. He fought Jeremiah Wells. Two years ago, round two, TKO, loss. He was a minus 240 favorite. Wells was a late replacement in that fight and also making his UFC debut. Just simply not a good memory there for Alves, a fight that I believe we had him winning. I like Jeremiah Wells as a prospect, but thought the late notice and first fight UFC was too much, but Jeremiah Wells came in there and starched him in round two. Munir Lezez, who's fighting on this card, they fought two years ago, 2021. A round one KO win there for Alves, who was a plus 200 underdog. Quality win. Underdog spot. He fought Randy Brown, 2019. Round two submission loss as a minus 145 favorite. So we've got a theme here going. When he's favorite, he loses. When he's dog, he wins, right? He fought James Krause, 2018. Mr. Krause. 2018, round two TKO loss as a minus 325 favorite. A bad loss, especially when you consider Kraus is not known for his KO ability. Here's Kraus knocking him out in round two when he's a 325 or a 320 favorite. He fought Kamar Usman, went to decision 2016. That has aged very well. He was a plus 170 underdog, going the full distance with the Kamar Usman, former champion. And then the highlight of his career, or the biggest win of his career, was Colby Covington 2015. He had a round one submission win as a plus 105 pick him. Yeah, so all over the place there, but what we, ha what we have here is a lot of experience. What we have here is championship-level experience against good fighters, and he's still only 32. Again, started his pro career at 20. He's been in the game now for 12 years. He's still plenty young. Assuming no you know, brain damage or whatever, he's still plenty young to keep it going. What's to like about Avis? Quality opponents, as we just talked about, some of the best in the UFC. His win over Covington. Submission ability. He has four guillotine submission wins, Five if you include his ultimate fighter submission win. So guillotine choke is what he likes to do. Finishing ability. He's finished nine of his 14 wins, four submissions, five TKOs, and he also had two finishes in the ultimate fighter, which we're not even counting in there. So the guy has finishing ability. What are my concerns for Alves? Well, durability. 
He himself has been finished in three of his last five fights, two by knockout and one by submission. The activity level has not been great recently. He did not fight at all in 2022. Granted, we're right back at it here in 2023, but still had a full calendar year off. His last fight was a little over a year ago. He's inaccurate on the money line. I mean, the money line has been up and down. He's a pot. He's, you know, he's a big favorite. He loses. He's a dog. He loses. I mean, he, he's a dog. He wins. What does that mean? Um, well, it means that for some reason, the books are not accurately lining his fights. This fight falls outside the scope of that because it's at, at a pick and price. Okay. So well, if he gets leveled in round one or he levels Dalby in round one, I guess the, the line is still inaccurate. But for some reason, line on him has not been accurate. Now let's look at Nicholas Dalby, the fighter from Denmark, who was born in 1984. He's 38 years old and, you know, not too old by any means, but on the other side of, you know, 35 in this division, uh, it's not great. He's clearly now on the decline a bit. And you've got Alves, six years younger. So, you know, it doesn't bode well for Dalby in terms of his age for this matchup. He's at a rumble sport. He's a switch stance fighter. He'll fight left-handed stance, right-handed stance. And he's a karate style fighter. He's had 30 total fights in his career between amateur and pro and boxing and exhibitions, whatever else. So a lot of fights. His average fight time is 13 minutes and 39 seconds. What does that tell us? Under a lot of, a lot of fights considered. The guy tends to go the distance. He tends to go deeper in fights. He's got pretty good cardio. He likes to work at range. He limits, he's got limited finishing ability. All those things we could tell from that number. He lands 3.22 strikes per minute and absorbs 3.22 strikes per minute. So what does that tell us? That means he's got okay output, but uh, also okay defense, right? He's averaging 1.22 takedowns per 15 minutes or per three-round fight and has 65% takedown defense. We gave him a GPA of 1.83. The biggest area of deficiency for us when evaluating him was his finishing ability where we gave him a grade of a D out of an A through F system. Again, we mentioned before, he's from Denmark, karate-style fighter. He went 2-0 as an amateur before going pro in 2010. He made his UFC debut in 2019. He fought in Cage Warriors prior to the UFC. This is his second stint in the UFC. So he went UFC, oh, he was Cage Warriors, UFC, Cage Warriors, back to UFC. Yeah. He's currently 4-3-2 in total in his both stints in the UFC. Last opponent, Claudio Silva, last year won the fight by decision as a minus 240 favorite. Prior opponent, Tim Means, 2021 decision loss as a plus 100 underdog. Then he fought Daniel Rodriguez, 2020, had a decision win as a plus 265 underdog. So kind of like Alves, he's been priced sometimes accurately and sometimes not accurately. What's to like here about Mr. Albi? I said Albi, Mr. Albi, excuse me. His kicking. Nice variety of kicks. You'll even see a question mark kick every now and then. Good body kicks, good head kicks, very flexible. His take on offense. He likes to lean on his opponents against the fence and scrape them to the ground. Now, only averaging about a little over one takedown per fight, but he could up that number. He's got good wrestling ability. Multiple stances. I'm not sure how that'll affect Alves, but it's never easy to fight a guy who can fight both stances, and so he'll have that in his uh, striking arsenal. Now, what are my concerns here for Dalby? The wide punches. So he starts to get very looping, and, you know, that opens up everything. Counters, you know, just counters. That's the biggest thing. You're off balance. You can get hit. You're not protecting yourself. His finishing ability. He's been a decision in four straight fights. His last finish was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, so here's a guy who at this point in his career, 38, the power seems to never have really been a big part of his game. We know who he is as a fighter. It's most likely for him he wins on the scorecards or a late finish because he wears out of his opponent. 
And lastly, the last concern I have for Nicholas Dalby is his striking defense. He has an even striking ratio, meaning he lands one punch, he, he takes one punch. He absorbs just about as much as he's giving out. And so that's never a good number to be dealing with. If he's forced to fight in the feet for a lengthy period of time, it may not bode well for him, put it that way. He's got a karate style stance, but again, very limited output. And Alves, his numbers support that he'd have higher output. He would win that type of fight. Though I do believe that Alves will at some point look to do some grappling, take the fight to the ground, look for some submissions. So again, the pick is Alves by submission. That's our prediction at some point, maybe in round two. The betting spots that we like the most for this fight are Alves by submission, the over one and a half rounds, and Dalby by decision. Now, Dalby by decision is not available just yet. That prop is not out. But here's my thinking again. Even though we like Alves to win, he'll be in the front of the home crowd, all those good things. There's still the opportunity. It's a fight. Dalby's still a grown-ass man. He's been in there with some pretty good fighters in the past. He knows how to win a fight on the scorecards, and that would be his method to victory. I'd also have to imagine Dalby by decision is going to be you know, plus 300, plus 250, some plays decent. So it's something that you might want to consider for a play. That's our breakdown for this fight, guys. Again, that's the breakdown for Warley Alves in the welterweight fight at 170 pounds versus Nicholas Dalby. We are on Alves to win the fight by submission. Good luck with this one, guys. Let's move on. Next up in the prelim card is going to be a lightweight battle at 155 pounds between Terence McKinney, the American fighter, versus Ishmael Bonfim from Brazil. For those who have to move forward in the video, I'll give you the pick right now. We like Terence McKinney into the distance, and that prop is currently priced at minus 110. So again, we like McKinney to get a knockout here, most likely in round one. Um, I should actually be specific, a finish of some kind. The guy has very good submission ability, so it's hard to say if it's going to be a knockout or submission, but we like Terence McKinney to win the fight. It's at the distance, and that's minus 110. All right, back to the breakdown of these two fighters. So both of these fighters are coming in here with a lot of potential. That's number one. Coming off contender series, big knockouts, the whole nine. Uh, these guys have a, a world potential, and they should be around UFC for a bit. Okay, matter of fact, I can see them rematching each other in the future because these guys have a lot to offer. As for Terrence McKinney, who goes by T-Rex, he's 13-4 and four overall, most notably known for his recent finishes, highlight finishes, and also the war he fought last year with Dober, where he ends up losing, but both guys hurt each other back and forth, and it was like a highlight film. Pretty impressive fight. We'll talk more about that when we get to that point in his breakdown. So McKinney's 13-4 and four overall, 4-1 four his last five fights. He's from Spokane, Washington. Um, for those who follow our channel, uh, we interviewed him about a year ago, and a uh, very nice young man. That video is somewhere in our list of videos on YouTube. Go back and listen to that uh, interview, but has a story to tell. Put it that way. If you don't know his story, look it up. The guy's been through a lot. I mean, he literally died. <laughs> it was brought back to life. So, you know, big fans of McKinney. Having him on the show, we're a little bit jaded towards choosing him because we like him personally. But uh, anyway, we'll try to be unbiased throughout this background breakdown. But uh, we like Mr. McKinney. Big fans of his. Anyway, so McKinney, who's from Spokane, Washington, 28 years old, five foot ten in height, with a 73 and a half inch reach. Up against Ishmael Bonfim. Now, Bonfim is 18-3 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. A slight dog here around the plus 105 range. You've got McKinney like around minus 115 to minus 120. And Bonfim hails from Brasilia, Brazil, 27 years old, 5-8 height, so about 2 inches shorter than McKinney. And 71.5 inch reach, giving up about 1.5-2 inch reach advantage there for McKinney. As for gyms where they train out of McKinney's out of Warrior Fight Camp, or Warrior Camp MMA, excuse me, which has some very good training partners. And then Ishma Bonfin trains out of Serato MMA. Okay, looking at the details in these two guys. Terrence McKinney is a Southpaw, born in 1994, 28 years old. 
He's a wrestler slash kickboxer. That's his style. And he trains out of Warrior MMA, as we mentioned before. 18 total fights between amateur and pro. He averages a fight time of 2 minutes and 56 seconds. Yeah, his fights do not go very long. Strikes landed per minute, 4.70. Strikes absorbed per minute, 2.11. His takedown offense, 5.11 takedowns per 15 minutes. The guy is a very good wrestler, very accomplished wrestler. We'll talk more about that in a second. His takedown defense, 100% takedown defense. So there's Terrence McKinney's details. For a grade, we gave him a 2.17 GPA, uh, specifically cardio. That's the big question mark. We gave him a D for cardio because we just don't know how his cardio will be in round two and round three because he just never goes to round two or round three. We gave him a B for striking and a B for finishing ability. Based upon his resume, he knows how to finish his opponent. And it's what we'll talk more about as we go through his breakdown. So looking back on his, his history, his background, he wrestled in high school, wrestled in college. In high school, he was like on the cusp of like kind of flirting with like an Olympic team. That's how high level he was. So the guy's got amazing wrestling credentials. He fought an LFA part of the UFC. And of course, we mentioned before, he's got an amazing story, personal life that I would encourage you to look up. His last opponent, Eric Gonzalez, he won that fight last year. Round one submission as a minus 900 favorite. Drew Dober, he also fought him last year. Round one TKO loss as a plus 130 pick him. In that fight, some details that need to be mentioned are uh, McKinney was a late replacement. And McKinney had Dober very hurt early on in round one. But McKinney ran out of gas, kind of blew his wad. Then he got hurt and he got finished. Post-fight, he discussed that, you know, he knew he needed to finish quickly because he didn't have the energy to go to full fight. Had a, a really short camp because he got a late notice, whatever, whatever. But uh, exciting fight. Maybe fight of the year, round of the year. That was a that was a banger last year. He also fought Faraz Ziam. That was also last year, so very active fighter. He fought three times last year. And Faraz Ziam, he beat him round one by submission as a minus 105 pick him. I go back to that fight thinking, I really wish I had more confidence in McKinney at the time. I should have. And Faraz Ziam, low confidence with him, but at minus 105, that was a steal. What's to like about McKinney? Well, finishing ability is the number one thing. He's got a 100% finish rate. He's never been to the third round of a fight, ever. And the guy's got, what, like 17 total fights? Never been to the third round. His wrestling, we mentioned before, like on the urge, like verge of like Olympic freestyle wrestling ability. So the guy's got a very good wrestling you know, foundation. Now, concerns for Mr. McKinney, and they're obvious ones, durability. Because of his killer be killed type of attitude and fighting style, he either gets to finish or he gets finished himself. Cardio management, by his own admission, he got a little ahead of himself against Dober. He blew his wad. He had Dober very hurt and just got too excited, blew his wad. That's going to be a question mark until we see him manage his cardio for three full rounds. He's open to counters. He gets wild when he gets excited and starts trying to hurt his opponent. So now he's open to counters. He's open to counter takedowns and the whole nine. So it's got to be tighten things up a little bit when he has his opponent hurt or when he gets excited, he said just kind of reel things in so he doesn't get himself exposed to any kind of counter action. As for the Brazilian, Ishmael Bonfim, born in 1995. Gosh, I'm getting old. Born in 1995, 27 years old, from Brazil. He trains out of Cerrado Gym. He's a boxer and he trains, and he, sorry, stands in both stances, left-handed stance and right-hand stance. So he's a switch stance fighter. He's fought 21 total fights between amateur and pro, boxing, ex exhibition, yada, yada, yada. Average fight time of 15 minutes. He averages 5.67 strikes per minute, absorbs 3.00. So he's got a positive striking ratio. That's good. And he's got about one takedown per fight or one takedown per 15 minutes with 100% takedown defense. We gave him a grade of 1.43 on our grading system. The big areas of deficiency for him are experience, finishing ability, and grappling. Some background information on Mr. Ishmael Bonfim. He was an LFA part of the UFC, and he won on Data Contender Series last year to get his contract. 
His last opponent was Naraman Abazov, and that was on Contender Series. Now, Abazov was like a 22-4 and or 28-2, and a lot of wins, good experience. He wins the fight by decision. He was a minus-115 pick-him. That's Bonfim, and it was a quality win. Now, most of the time on Contender Series, you get a win by decision. It's like, oh, Dana's not impressed. You got to come back another time or you know keep it moving. In this case, Abazov was a legit opponent. It was a positive win, and Bonfim did have him hurt at a few times, and so it was the kind of victory where even though it was by decision, it warranted him getting a chance in the UFC. Now, what's the like here about the Brazilian fighter? Number one, very sharp boxing. Him and his brother both have very nice boxing. Everything's straight down the pipe. Hands come right back up to guard. His footwork. His footwork allows him to get in range, out of range, and avoid strikes. And his footwork's tied into good cardio. So he can move around, has good footwork for the entire three fights. And then punching power. He hasn't displayed like KO power in his last few fights. But when you watch him on film, he's punching hard. I think it's just a matter of him landing the right few punches and having the right few opponents to actually get some knockouts. But I believe he's got some good punching power. Now, what's the concerns here for Ishmael? Finishing ability. <laughs> we just talked about it, right? He's displayed finishing ability before, like before the LFA and like before the UFC, but he's got a decision in his last three fights. So just wondering, is the finishing ability from the past when he was fighting the cans, will it, will it come back? Will, will it make a resurgence? You know. And again, a UFC debutante. So making his debut here in Brazil, uh, in the home confines, that's nice. At the same time, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that my puppy has decided to make a cameo appearance. Hello, Ace. <laughs> anyway, so he's a guy who uh, has a little bit of comfort of being home in Brazil. At the same time, it's still the debut. And, you know, you're going to have that pressure of friends and family. Everyone's there. You know if it goes well, you win. It's going to be celebrations all around. If it doesn't, people will be patting you back and, you know, feeling bad for you. So, you know, that could, that could work. One of two ways, right? One of two ways. All right, so some betting spots we like for this fight. McKinney into the distance is minus 110. If you're betting McKinney, how else would you bet on him? I mean, you could bet knockout, submission, round one, round two. But like, if you're getting even money to bet on McKinney, you're taking it, especially if you think he wins this fight. If you think he wins this fight, right? The next spot we like is Bomb Theme inside the distance at plus 155. Now, that's a bit of a no-brainer, too, because if McKinney loses this fight, it's not also going to be by decision. We know this. Like, we can start, you know, uh, sort of like a, like a, a game of elimination. Like, we know he's not going to win by decision. He's going to win by some kind of finish. And we also know he's probably not going to lose by decision. So if you're on the side of Bonfim and you're not sure if it's going to be a knockout, submission, or whatever the case may be, into the distance at plus 155 is really good value. And so a place that we're going to probably put some money. The under one and a half round prop at minus 200. Love this prop because Terrence McKinney does not really get into round two ever. And if he does, it finishes quickly after he gets into round two and he's never been in round three. So under one and a half rounds at minus 200 is one of our favorite parlay pieces. It's in our newsletter. Again, that's minus 200 for the under one and a half rounds in the McKinney versus Bonfim fight. Please bookmark that somewhere. Put a little asterisk next to it because that prop right there at minus 200 is a great parlay piece. There's no way this fight gets past a round and a half. I probably just jinxed myself. Okay. So it's hard to know exactly how this fight ends, right? We don't know how it ends, but it probably ends, and it probably ends within those first two rounds. Um, at that point, I think we get into round two. It favors Bonfim. If it's going to be a quick finish, it favors McKinney. But either way, we like McKinney to win the fight. Into the distance. From the money line standpoint, will we bet money line? Probably not. I think the props here cover you much better. I think there's too much volatility there. I think the chance to fight does not even get out of round one is high. And so find the prop that works best for you and bet with caution. That's our breakdown, guys. Like McKinney to win the fight into the distance.
Making our way up the card, we have the first and only heavyweight bout to talk about. 265 pounders, Jolton Almeida from Brazil versus Shamil Abdurakimov. Mr. Abdurakimov is coming in from Russia, far away from home, against the hometown kid, Jolton Almeida. For those who need to move forward in the video, I'll give you the pick right away. Jolton Almeida into the distance. That prop is currently sitting at minus 450. Wow, quite chalky. We're going to be using that as a parlay piece. We'll talk more about that as we break down this fight. Okay, let's talk about it. So heavyweight battle, Jolton Almeida is not quite a natural heavyweight. If you've seen him fight recently, he's done some light heavyweight action. He's built more like a light heavyweight. Usually comes in underweight by about 20, 30 pounds. And he uses that smaller athletic frame to his advantage. Whereas Shamil is more of a natural purebred heavyweight. We'll talk more about that as we go through the breakdown. But again, yeah, Jolton is more of a natural light heavyweight actually. And his future will most likely be in that, that weight class. So Almeida 17-2 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. A big favorite here sitting around minus 1,000. Yeah, huge favorite. He's from Salvador, Bahia, Brazil, 31 years old, 6'3 in height with a 79-inch reach. He trades out of LG system. As for the Russian, 20-7 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights, plus 650 to plus 675 on the money line. He's out of Russia, 41 years old in four months. So getting up there in years, though, 41 is still, I wouldn't say prime years, but, you know, it's not over the hill yet for a heavyweight. He's giving up 10 years, though, to the younger Jelton Almeida, who's only 31. And the Russian fighter is six foot three, same height, with a 76-inch reach, giving up three inches to Jelton Almeida. And Shamil trains out of Perezvet FT. I've heard of that gym before during the breakdown, so I imagine he's got some good Russian training partners over there. The details, let's look at the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. Mr. Almeida, born in 1991, 31 years old, balanced fighter, amazing grappler, coins himself as the Brazilian Khabib. He's an orthodox fighter, a.k.a. right-handed. His average fight time, 4 minutes and 42 seconds. That's because he finishes people in 4 minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah, very aggressive fighter, high finishing ability. He's fought 25 total mixed martial arts, boxing, amateur, pro all combined. Lands 3.56 strikes per minute, absorbs 0.43. Yeah, I'll say that again. He's landing about 3.5 strikes per minute, absorbing 0.43. Does not get hit. He takes down his opponent, smothers them, and they can't strike him. <laughs> his takedowns per 15 minutes, he's averaging 7.18 take, takedowns per fight. Now, granted, his fights are not going 15 minutes, so it's a snapshot. But yeah, good takedown offense, good wrestling ability. And has 50% takedown defense himself. We'll talk more about that number in a moment. We gave him a grade of 2.50. Um, the high points on his grading scale would be finishing ability. We give him a B, grappling a B, striking a B. So a high grade here for a young prospect who's got the world of opportunity in front of him. He went pro 2012, so about 11 years ago. Had no amateur experience. He made his UFC debut about a year ago. Yeah, last year, 2022. He earned his UFC contract by finishing his opponent on Data My Contender Series last year. It has been, has been very busy since then. His last few opponents, he fought Anton Turkle. That was on Contender Series. That was a round one submission win. He was a minus 700 favorite in that matchup, and he got the job done. He fought Parker Porter last year, had a round one submission win as a minus 575 favorite. Got the job done. And then his last fight, I believe, was uh, Danilo Marquez. 2022 last year as well, a round one TKO win as a minus 420 favorite. And then Nasiruddin, Nasiruddinov, he fought him in 2021. 
That was the Contender Series fight. I'm sorry. It was not the Anton Turkos fight. That was not the Contender Series fight. It was the Nasser Adin fight. That was in 2021, so a little over a year, about two years ago. He had a round two submission win. That was on Contender Series, and that was how he got his contract. Now, notably, in the Contender Series fight, he was a plus 165 underdog. Look at that. He's come, a far, he's come far in a short period of time. What is there to like about Almeida? Besides the fact that he's absolutely ferocious and intimidating, his wrestling is top-notch. Uh, his wrestling is where he you know, butters the bread, where he pays the bills, how he shines the shoes, however you want to put it, it's the wrestling. Submission ability is through the roof. He's got five submission wins in his last six fights. You know, The guy's going to look to choke you. His finish rate is also incredible. He's got 14 finishes and 17 wins. <laughs> Sorry, 14 finishes of his 17 wins. And all the finishes have been within two rounds. So we're not going around three with this. The guy's going to finish you within those first 10 minutes. My questions or my concerns for Almeida, they're the same questions or concerns anyone would have. Competition. He's fought some limited competition, including the fighters he's faced in the UFC. I would even include Shamil, his opponent here in that category of limited fighters, limited competition. His endurance. We don't know what his endurance is like. And a matter of fact... The one fight that he's been to decision, he lost that fight. Now, it wasn't recent, but the point is, will his gas tank hold up in round two, round three? Does he train for round two, round three? I mean, that sounds goofy, but he doesn't really go deeper in fights. Again, in this matchup, shouldn't be a problem. Shamil doesn't have great cardio either, and he's getting older. Just putting it out there, the question marks about Almeida. The last issue, and this one is a major one. This goes into the other mention we mentioned before, 50% takedown defense for Almeida, right? He is going to be smaller than Shamil. Shamil in his heyday, in his, you know, his top performances could give people problems with his grappling, his top control. He's going to be 20, 30 pounds heavier than Almeida on fight night because he's a natural heavyweight. Almeida's smaller. Could we see a situation where Almeida is having a hard time getting up and he's got Shamil laying on him? And again, 50% takedown defense. Shamil can get a takedown possibly. That is the one glaring area of concern here. If you want to take a shot at a, at a, at a long shot, at, at a dog to win in this fight card, that could happen, okay? Because now let's say we get into round two, round three, and Almeida is a little gassed, doesn't have the power. He gets a little bit uh, wild or loose. He gets taken down again in round two and held down. Now we have a situation where we have a path to victory for Shamil. Now, I think Almeida wins the fight. I think he starts with Shamil in round one. I think Shamil is, is over the hill in terms of his, 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 uh, his career. Uh, high points, I think, it's not because it's just the age. I just think his best days are behind him, put it that way, in the octagon. And I think Almeida's just a furious tornado of a, of a man. So I think Almeida wins. But, but I'm not parlaying Almeida at minus 1,000. We're not betting him straight up at minus 1,000. We're going to touch that prop into the distance. But ultimately, if you want to talk about a dog who's got a shot, Shamil's been around the block. Been around for a long time. As for Shamil, let's talk more about the Russian fighter. Orthodox fighting stance, so he's right-handed, born in 1981, 41 years old. He's a boxer. That's how he fights. He's a boxer. Does have some grappling, but more or less, he wants to fight you in the feet for the bulk of the fight. He has 27 total fights under his uh, belt. His average fight time is 9 minutes and 37 seconds. So for a heavyweight, that's interesting. Goes about two full rounds. Averages 2.6 strikes per minute, absorbs 2.80. Has a neg negative striking ratio, but not by much. The bigger concern there is, you know, volume. It's not great. Then again, isn't that sort of like a par for the course for heavyweights, right? A bit more punching power, less volume. Not for Almeida, of course, who's like a Roger Rabbit out there. Why did I say Roger Rabbit? I meant the Energizer Bunny Rabbit, not Roger Rabbit. Anyway, takedown offense for Shamil averaging 1.09 takedowns 
per fight and averaging 47% takedown defense. He'll need two takedowns to win this fight, I would imagine. He'd need to have one takedown in one round and one takedown in another round and hold down Almeida. That would be a path to victory. So just putting it out there. For the report card on Shamil, we gave him a GPA of 2.00. The one area of deficiency we saw for him was in his cardio. We gave him a D on the grading system of A through F for his cardio. Good experience, right? You know, the guy's been around the block, UFC veteran, but uh, the cardio age, that's becoming a bit of a factor and a concern. Some background on Mr. Shamil. He was born in Dagestan. He went professional in 2008. He made his pro debut in 2015. He fought an M1 prior to the UFC. Last few opponents for him, he fought Sergey Pavlovich last year, round one TKO loss as a plus 270 underdog. He fought and lost to Chris Dalkis last year as well, round two TKO loss as a plus 185 underdog. Then he had a break for about three years. He fought Curtis Blades in 2019, round two TKO loss as a plus 375 underdog. And then one more fight to mention, Marcin Tybura, 2019, a round two TKO win as a plus 115 pick. So he's been knocked out, finished in his last few fights. And now he comes up against this young whippersnapper from Brazil. It just kind of seems like the writing is on the wall. What's to like here about the Russian fighter? Number one, competition level. He's definitely faced the better strength of schedule when you compare his schedule to Almeida. His win over Arlovsky, you know, listen, say what you want to say about Arlovsky. The dude is a legend. It's just, you know, you put it out there. Like if Misha Tate, she lost to Caitlin Vieira, right? Um, and Holly Holm, right? Holly Holm lost to Caitlin Vieira. So, you know, put it, you put it in a little bit of a vacuum. It's not the, it's not, you know, Misha Tate in her prime. It's not Holly Holm in her prime. And, and when he fought Arlovsky, it was not in his prime either, but still it matters. All wins matter. So his win over Arlovsky in 2018 by decision, the best win of his career for Shamil. And then Shamil has UFC experience. This will be his 11th fight in the UFC compared to what, like three or four for Almeida. And last but not least for Shamil, his finishing ability. Like most heavyweights, he has one punch KO power. We will be playing that prop, Shamil by KO. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, what are my concerns for Shamil? He's 41, and 41 is not too old for heavyweights, but he's, so, he's showing the signs of deterioration. He's, his speed is going down, his reaction time, his cardio. Um, the youth advantage is there for the 10-year younger fighter in John Almeida. No question about it. Durability has become the biggest issue for Shamil in his last few fights. He's been finished within the first two rounds of his last three fights. Hasn't had a win in years. Okay, so um, I think it stays that way. And if he loses this fight, you're looking at the results saying, oh, he got finished again in round one, round two. Oof, big surprise, right? His cardio has become a factor. Probably tied into his age, probably tied, tied into wear and tear over the years, injuries. You know, consider this one. You get injured. You get injured again. By the time you get to 41, the amount of injuries that you've sustained in any damn sport, let alone combat sports, is countless, right? So the bum shoulder, the dislocated ankle, the, the, the broken wrist, all the things you've sustained over the course of your career, your body's creaking. You're feeling some version of all these things. So training is not the same. You're not training as hard. The cardio, the road work, the road work is the first thing to go because you can't, your body can't take doing the road work. It hurts, you know? So things start to get cut out of the regiment. And as you get older, cardio becomes one of the things that becomes a factor. And for him, it seems to be. And lastly, he has not won a fight since 2019. Been about four years. So all the different signs that, you know, hey, we're, we're on the way out. So like Almeida, to win the fight, it's at the distance at minus 450. You can spend more time analyzing this fight. You can look deeper into the numbers, but the reality is it's likely going to be fast and furious. Crowd goes crazy. Almeida 
puts another feather in his cap, gets another win over a heavyweight, yes, a natural heavyweight, but I believe not of a high caliber. I'd imagine if you put Jalton Almeida in there with a guy like Ninganu, we're going to see something different. Um, so he hasn't really faced a real heavyweight. Is that going to be part of what happens in the near future? I don't know. All right, some quick last little details here. The props that we like. Almeida to win in round one is minus 150, like that. Shamil by KO is plus 900. Why would you play that? Well, because for like $11, you win $100. And if Shamil knocked out Almeida, it would not be that surprising. These are heavyweights. Remember, one punch. That means Almeida just getting a tad bit off balance, getting a little overconfident, and Shamil just lands that one shot. So I do like Shamil by KO as a prop to, to sprinkle some money on. The under one and a half rounds is minus 350. Also seems like a high likelihood. It will most likely be one of our parlay pieces. That's the breakdown, guys. Almeida probably wins the fight. Probably wins it in round one. Most likely by a TKO, but also has submission ability. Good luck with this one, guys. Let's move on. All right, we'll keep it moving. Let's move up to the next fight in the card. It's going to be a welterweight bout, 170 pounds between Gabriel Bonfim, the second of the two Bonfim brothers on this card, versus Monir Lezez. For those who have to move forward in the video due to time constraints, I'm going to give you the pick right now. We like Gabriel Bonfim to win by submission, and that prop is currently sitting at plus 190. As for the details in this welterweight bout, Mr. Bonfim is 13-0, undefeated, currently sitting at minus 190-ish. To almost two to one as a favorite in the money line. He's based out of Brazil, so he'll be the hometown fighter, 25 years old, six foot one in height with a 72 and a half inch reach, and he trains out of Equipe Samurai. As for Monir Luzes, who's from Tunisia, 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 jeez, I should be able to say that better. But now he's based out of Dubai. He's a plus 155 underdog, 11 and two overall, four and one in his last five fights, 35 years old, so about 10 years the senior of Gabriel Bonfim. That kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that Lizez is getting up there in years. Anyway, he's six foot one in height, so about the same height as Bonfim with a 76 inch reach, so about a three and a half inch reach advantage there from Manir Lizez. And he trains out of Team Noguera Dubai. All right. According to the numbers or the votes on Tapology, Bonfim is the big favorite, getting 83% of the votes here, only 17% coming in for Lizez. Yes, the force of the Brazilian votes is strong. I mean, I, I think that Bonfim is a good fighter, but man, Lizez is getting no love there on the on the Tapology votes. A little surprising, a little surprising. All right, so looking at the details into the numbers here on these two fighters, Gabriel Bonfim, born in 1997, 25 years old. He trains out of Samurai, uh, a gym called Samurai, right? What is that gym called? It's uh, Equipe Samurai. He's a boxer, right-handed stance, has fought 13 total mixed martial arts-related fights, but has a background in boxing, him and his brother both. So when I say 13 total mixed martial arts fights, I want to make sure I, I qualify that. 13 total mixed martial arts fights, not boxing. Average fight time of 4 minutes and 13 seconds, so gets the job done pretty quickly. He's averaging 6.17 strikes per minute, only absorbing 4.74. Excellent striking output for Gabriel Bonfim, but a little high on the absorbing of strikes. He needs to get better with his stand-up defense. His takedown offense, averaging 3.56 takedowns per 15 minutes, also a surprising stat, has 0% takedown defense. Now, some things to consider here or to qualify. These are based on a very small sample size, right? Because Gabriel Bonfim has only fought in the Contender Series, and that's the only sample size, one fight. So just putting that in perspective, for a grade, we gave him 1.67 on the GPA grade. Again, small sample size. The areas of concern for us is grappling and his finishing ability, but again, young fighter, still room to grow. 
He is the brother of Ishmael Bonfim, who's fighting on this card as well. His last two fights, he fought Trey Waters, 2022, a round one submission win. That was on Contender Series as a minus 310 favorite, got his contract. Then he fought Eduardo Garvan, 2022, also last year, had a round one submission win, and that was in the LFA. So the guy has what? He has submission ability, right? What's to like about Bonfim? Boxing. He's got a boxing background, clean striking. You could tell he's done a lot of training with boxing. His stand-up boxing defense, you know, that can get a little better. But the punching, the striking, the head movement, excellent. Excellent chin. When you see him on film, he took some hard shots from Trey Waters. He deals with them well. He's definitely got a chin. And lastly, the home cooking. He's going to be in the same card as his brother in Brazil. Family, friends, the whole nine. I imagine he's going to be pretty hyped up, and that should help him to, uh, let's say, put it this way, be on his toes, right? My only concern for Bonfim, and I only have one right now because, again, we're still getting to know this fighter, is the open chin, the letting himself get hit, maybe the overconfidence in his chin. And you see that with his striking numbers, absorbing about 4.74, almost five strikes per minute. So he's got to be careful as he moves up the ladder. You know, guys hit harder, guys are more crafty, needs to maybe sure up some of the defense there and not keep his chin so open. As for Monir Lizez, the fighter from Tun Tunisia, <laughs> my gosh, I'm still butchering that, Training out of Team Nagora in Dubai, kickboxer, right-handed fighter, 35 years old, born 1987, has 13 total combat sports events, fights, grappling, whatever, under his belt. Average fight time about 10, oh, 11 minutes, 10, 10 minutes, 52 seconds, excuse me. So about 11 minutes per fight, so he's going into round two, averaging 7.40 strikes per minute, absorbing 5.28. So good output. You like the 7.4 strikes per minute, but you don't love the input. Again, taking a lot of punches at 5.28, both guys are very hittable. Takedown offense for Lizez, averaging 1.84 takedowns per 15 minutes. That's also a nice number, almost two takedowns per fight with a 70% takedown defense. So this fight probably hits the ground at some point, right? And we probably see a good amount of strikes being landed <laughs> based upon the numbers of these two guys. We gave Lizez a, st a slightly higher GPA, more because of his experience and his striking prowess. His GPA is 2.16. Munir Lizez is from Tunisia, as we mentioned, Tunisia. How many times can I say that, that, that country wrong? He went professional in 2012 with no amateur experience. He fought in UAE Warriors, part of the UFC. And he made his UFC debut about three years ago in 2020. His last opponent was Andre Lusa. And that was 2022, last year. Decision win as a minus 190 favorite. Prior fight, Warley Alves, 2021. Round one TKO loss as a minus 250 favorite. Oh, that sucks. Alves is on this fight card, and Alves is obviously fighting his brother, interestingly enough. And then Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, 2020. Decision win as a plus 265 underdog. One of the fights on <laughs> Al-Hassan's resume where he drops the fight as a big favorite. So frustrating, right? He did win the other day, so good for him. What's to like here about... Mr. Lizez. Mr. Lizez, smooth striker. You watch him fight. The, the hands are almost like uh, Sean Strickland. They just roll out of, his, out of his chest. It's super smooth combinations. So it's easy for him. He just lets the hands go. Nice, smooth striking. Solid cardio. He could fight like that for three rounds. And the experience level, right? This will be his fourth UFC fight compared to the first fight for Bonfim in the promotion. His head kicks are nasty. Remember I said that. He can catch somebody with a head kick. It's lights out. Very flexible, can bring that kick up quickly, and he'd, he could end the fight with a nasty head kick. My concerns for Lizez, he likes to trade, and you see that with his numbers. Again, averaging or absorbing almost five and a half strikes per minute. He doesn't mind getting in the pocket with you or the phone booth and just trading back and forth until somebody drops. It's super exciting. It's super fun, right? It's like the Terrence McKinney style of fighting. 
the problem with it is, you know, there's there's you know there's some pros and there's some big cons, and you can just get caught. So it's concerning for me that he adopts that strategy. If he does that in this fight, it's going to be like ah, fifty fifty. Bonfim hits hard too, you know. And then my other concern for Lizez is his finishing ability. He hasn't finished an opponent in three years. That is surprising. I, I think if Monir Lizez is one of the better strikers in this weight class, but numbers are the numbers, and he hasn't finished somebody in about three years. So the finishing ability has not been there. My last few thoughts on these two fighters here, Gabriel Bonfim at minus 175 versus Monir Lizez at plus 150. Look, Bonfim is undefeated, right? You know, he's looking to get that record to a perfect 14-0 in front of his hometown crowd. I think that's what happens here. I think Bonfim wins the fight, but I think specifically by submission. And at plus 190 by submission, getting plus money, can't complain. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are Lizez by decision at plus 350, Bonfim by submission at plus 190, and the fight goes over one and a half rounds at minus 150. So even though we like Bonfim by submission, which would mean the fight does not go the distance, we also feel like the fight at least gets to that round one and a half midway point, and then at some point after that, we might see some balance. It should be close. Manir Lizaz is by no means a guy to be overlooked. I respect anyone who's on that dog and looking to pick Manir Lizaz by decision at plus 350. That's a great place to be at. It just seems like, you know, Gabriel Bunfim is going to have all of the, you know, key advantages in this matchup. And then also being at home is that extra little touch of, you know, of having that. His brother's in the card too. UFC clearly likes these two brothers, wants to promote them, putting them on this card like this, you know. So I think, you know, the stars are aligning for Gabriel Bunfim to come out of here with a win. And for Munir Luzez, a loss, even a loss by submission, is not going to hurt him that much. You know, it's a, it's a good fight. They're evenly matched. Um, but a win for Munir Lizez would be huge, right? So that's the breakdown, guys. We'd like, again, Gabriel Bonfim to win the fight by submission. Okay, moving up the car, we've got a lightweight battle at 155 pounds between Thiago Moises, Brazilian fighter, versus Melquizal Costa, also a Brazilian fighter. So we got two young men from Brazil fighting in their hometown. Moises is 27 years old, three and two in his last five fights, 16 and six overall. He's five foot nine height with a 70 and a half inch reach. He's out of American top team. Very good gym. As for Costa, 19 and five overall. So also a good amount of experience, though he's still making his UFC debut in this match. He's four and one in his last five fights. Out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, 26 years old, 5 foot 10 in height, so about a 1 inch reach or height advantage, excuse me, over Moises. With a 73 inch reach, so about a 2 and what, 2 and a half inch reach advantage, so not a big deal, but still has a reach advantage over Moises. And he's out of Chuto Boxe, Juan Emilio. All right, so details in these two fighters for Mr. Thiago Moises, born 1995, 27 years old, from Brazil, as we mentioned before, orthodox fighter, right handed. He's a grappler. That's where his foundation is. Grappling, wrestling, BJJ. That's where his foundation is. We gave him a 2.00 GPA. His most efficient area is striking. Striking is where he's got his biggest, uh, I guess, making up to do, right? He's a BJJ black belt from a very young age. He started BJJ at eight years old. He's a former RFA lightweight champion. He's also the son of a former professional mixed martial arts fighter, so his dad was in the game. He fought off at his father. He won a contender series back in 2018. That's how he got his contract for the UFC. He also earned performance of the night one time versus Giagos last year. That was a round one submission win. That was his last fight. Before that, he fought Yuel Alvarez, 2021, round one TKO loss, and that was a bad loss. I'll tell you what, 
in a vacuum, okay, no big deal. But that fight makes you very concerned about his future because he got dominated by Julio Alvarez and bullied. It was a bad loss. Bad loss. Hopefully, that's just one flash in the pan, but that was a bad loss. His prior fight, Islam Makachev, a guy you might recognize. He lost to him in 2021, round four submission. And if you think about that, you know, went to round four, three full rounds with Makachev. Not a bad deal. He was a, he was a plus 550 underdog in that fight. Not a bad showing, but still lost the fight. What's to like here about Thiago Moises? Solid competition, as we mentioned before. He's been three and a half, four rounds with guys like Makachev. Finishing ability. He's actually finished half of his wins. Eight of his 16 wins have been finishes. Six of those were by submission. So submission is would be his normal path to victory. Catch my drift. And again, the BJJ Foundation. Starting jiu-jitsu from the age of eight years old. Your dad's a fighter. You know, so on and so on. Now, what are my concerns from Moises? Limited striking ability. His striking is average. He has one knockout win in the past 11 fights. You know, the numbers don't lie. The size disadvantage, he's always going to be the smaller guy. Just his physique, he's a little more thicker, right? He's more of a bull, like a fire hydrant. So he's a little thicker of a guy, not as long. He's always a shorter fighter. That becomes an issue at some point. Against Alvarez, it was a big issue. And Alvarez beat him up from range. He lacks a signature win. So you want to see a win over a guy like Makachev. That would have been a big win, right? So he lacks a signature win, not in his resume. And then back again to that Yoel Alvarez defeat. He just really got his butt kicked. The kind of butt kicking that might change the course of your career. You know? As for Melquizal Costa, born in 1996, 26 years old, from Brazil as well, from Chuto Baxe Baru. And we have no information on his fighting style or fight stance because we don't have any film on him. No fighter stats, no striking numbers on him. We just are in the dark on this young man. He's making his UFC debut. He's now known all across the capper world as the guy who almost got killed <laughs> in the octagon. He almost got killed in a fight where the referee just didn't realize that he was being choked for about a minute and a half. But I say again, where was his corner? Where was the side ring octagon side promoters or anyone that would say, listen, he's, he's been out for a while. So don't blame just the referee, blame everyone. His last few opponents, he fought Junior Melo last year, round three TKO win. Tom Santos last year as well, round one KO win. And then also Italo it, it, Gomez. He lost to that guy by decision last year. What's to like about Costa? Finishing ability. Five of his last seven wins have been by finish. That's usually his path to victory. He fought four times last year. Very active. Love that, especially after almost dying in the octagon. You know. He'll have a reach advantage in his fight. Now, what are my concerns for the guy who almost died once? Well, he almost died once. That is a concern. He was like unconscious, being choked for 90 seconds past, you know, I mean, maybe he lost a few brain cells, you know, who just, who knows? I'm not trying to joke about this. Like the guy literally almost died. And then it's a UFC debut. You know, anytime you're a UFC debutante, it's the extra pressure of being in the octagon and the, the fans, the family, you're in Brazil, all this stuff, you know, so... Extra pressure. We like Moises by submission. That's our prediction. At some point, Moises gets to the neck area here, and hopefully the referee steps in or his corner steps in and says, no mas. The spots we like the most of this fight, we like the, we like the 
fight not going the distance and Moises inside the distance, which makes sense. We like Moises by submission. Those are the two spots we like the most. So we think Moises rolls here. At minus 305, it's a little chalky, I guess, but let's be honest here. I mean, Mequizal Costa has not fought anyone near the level of Moises, and Moises is, you know, never almost died before in the octagon. So, yeah, Moises every day, all day. We like him a lot. We like him as a parlay piece. And again, we like him by submission. That's the breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Moving up the card, next fight's going to be a middleweight bout. 185 pounds between Gregory Rodriguez from Brazil versus Bruno Ferreira, also from Brazil. So we have another Brazil versus Brazil matchup. I'm sure the fans are going to love that. 185 pounds, middleweight bout. Rodriguez is 13-4 overall, four more in his last five fights. A big favorite here at minus 330 on the money line. He's now based out of Deerfield Beach, Florida. He's now a transplant in the Florida area. He's a Floridian. <laughs> About to be 31 years old, 6'3 in height with a 75-inch reach. He's up against Bruno Ferreira, who's 9-0, undefeated young prospect. He's also a big underdog here at plus 250 to plus 270 on the money line. Out of Piranha, Brazil. 30 years old, 5'10 in height with a 72 inch reaches out of Evolucao Thai MMA. Don't know the gym, but sounds kind of fancy Nancy. All right, so looking at the numbers in these two guys, Rodriguez is born in 1992, 30 years old, <clears throat> out of X Gym. He's a boxer. That's his fighting style. He's a boxer, stand up, let's punch back and forth. The strongest, baddest man wins. He's right-handed, orthodox fighter, 19 total bouts between mixed martial arts, boxing, amateur, the whole deal. His average fight time is 8 minutes and 23 seconds. He lands 6.19 strikes per minute, absorbs 5.87. You like the output, but you don't love the fact he's getting hit about 6 times per minute. Averages about 2.4 takedowns per 15 minutes. Now that is a nice number. It's always nice to have the ability to just sort of change pace, you know, bring the fight to the ground, get a takedown. He has that ability. He also has 100% takedown defense. Takedown defense against guys who have been okay. We gave him a 2.33 GPA in our fighter report card. The biggest area for deficiency for him is grappling, believe it or not. We gave him a D in the grappling department. He went pro 2014 about nine years ago. He lost on contender series in 2020 then had to sort of work his way back in. He fought LFA prior to the UFC. His last few opponents, Chidi Ninjukwe. Chidi Ninjukwe. Chidi Oh my gosh, I'm butchering that name. He fought Chidi. His last fight, round two TKO win as a plus 110 underdog. His prior fight, Julian Marquez, 2022, last year, round one TKO win as a minus 175 favorite. He lost to Armand Petrosian in a very good fight. That was last year, a split decision loss in just a back and forth battle. Both men came ready to fight. He was a minus 150 favorite. He lost, no big deal. Split decision, live with it. Prior fight, Juan Park, 2021, about two years ago. Round two TKO win as a minus 145 favorite. And that fight, if you watch it, these guys both had moments where they were hurting each other. Rodriguez, just being the dog that he is, comes out on top. What's the like about Rodriguez? Finish rate. He's finished five of his last eight wins by knockout. His chin, pretty legit. He takes some shots. 
And the competition, he's definitely fought the better competition than his opponent in this matchup. He's definitely got the strength of schedule advantage in this matchup. My concerns for Rodriguez, he's a little bit reckless. He will exchange. He'll get in that phone booth with you and and trade recklessly with like, you know, I'm going to hit you and hurt you before you hit me and hurt me. But that kind of fighting style, it has its limitations. Cardio, I wonder about the cardio. He's He's kind of a, you know... He's ripped. He's a you know strong guy, and, and as the fight goes on, he kind of slows down, and so you wonder about the cardio. He has a kill or be killed type of attitude, like Terrence McKinney. It's either I'm going to finish you, you're going to finish me, but someone's getting finished. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah, the idea that you can go in there and like finish everybody, there's a limitation on that fighting style, and so I do love it. It's exciting. Someone's probably going to finish in this fight, but... It's also got, or has its downside, excuse me. He's also a bit one-dimensional. If he cannot hurt his opponent on the feet like with the striking or knock them out, he doesn't seem to find another path to victory. That's his only path to victory. It's like hurting someone to the point where they're knocked out or you know wobbled. It would be nice to see him win some fights in decision, get some grappling, position control, be more strategic or technical, but that's not his fighting style. As for Ferreira, 30 years old, Born 1992 from Brazil. He's a brawler. That's the way I would diagnose his fight film. He's a brawler. He wants to just fight with you like Roadhouse style, Patrick Swayze. I'm aging myself, but like, you know, backyard brawl. He'll fight in both stances, right-handed stance and southpaw stance. Nine total fights. That's it. Nine total fights between amateur, mixed martial arts, boxing, the whole deal. We give him a 1.67 GPA. The big areas of question marks or deficiency are his experience and cardio. We just don't know. He went pro 2019 about four years ago. No amateur experience. And he fought on Dan McIntyre's last year. Got a win. Round one KO win on series against Leon Alou. As a minus 240 favorite, you like that. That punches ticket to the UFC. High finish rate. He's finished all nine of his fights. So, you know, 100% finish rate. That's impressive. Six KOs, three submissions. He got the KO on Dana, he got the KO on Dana series. So you like all this, like finishing ability. It's all there. Ability to finish people. The only question mark is like against who, right? You know, the ground and pound looks good. But strength of schedule is like, you know, you just don't know. It's it's very common. These new guys coming to the UFC, they've been fighting complete. We don't call them cans. Calling them a can be disrespectful, but just calling them not UFC material. <laughs> this will be a big step up for him in competition. He's never seen a round three, right? So he's never been to round three. <laughs> in all, four, all nine of his pro fights, never been to round three. I mean, it just question marks abound question marks about. I think Rodriguez is going to knock him out. Rodriguez at plus 150 to knock him out. Nice spot. Like the under two and a half. At some point, one of these two guys gets to the other fighter. But for Rodriguez, this money line makes sense. At minus 300 range, minus 330, this guy has been already in there with some bona fide fighters in UFC. Has held his own. You know, he's a gamer. You know, Bruno Ferreira, no offense, man. You're about to go in there with a, a guy who's about to, you know, a guy who will be willing to die on his sword, put it that way. I like Rodriguez a lot. Parlay piece, not straight up. Minus 330 is too much. 
But that plus 150 by knockout, yeah, you could book it. Rodriguez by knockout. That's the uh, prediction, guys. Let's move on. Here we go. All right, next fight in the car is going to be a light heavyweight battle. 205 pounds between the legendary Mauricio Rua, who goes by Mauricio Shogun Rua, a legend in mixed martial arts, a legend in UFC, former champion. Getting old, though, 41 years old. He will be in his hometown of, well, not hometown, home country of Brazil, up against Ihor Pretoria. Now, Pretoria, you might recognize from Contender Series, had a nice run, and then got Molly Watt in his last fight, which we'll talk about. So, the first things first, let's get the pick out of the way. For those that have to move forward in the show, we understand. People are busy. They can't sit here and just listen to me ramble about fights, right? <laughs> so the pick we have here is Ihor Pretoria. Most likely to win the fight in round one by KO. And uh, before I get on to the breakdowns, I'm going to acknowledge that it's KO or a bust for Ihor. Just by the way he fights. You know, so careful, careful wagering in this fight. Rua is 27-13-1 overall. 2-2 in his last five fights. Plus 170 underdog here. Again at Brazil. 41 years old. 6'1", 176-inch reach, and he trains out of Kings MMA and Shogun team. As the Ukrainian fighter, Ihor. 18-3 overall. 4-1 in his last five fights. Contender Series alum out of Kiev, Ukraine. You may have heard of that city or that country. 26 years old. 6'3", in height, about 2 inches taller than Rua. 75-inch reach, about a 1-inch reach advantage there for Rua. And Ihor trains out of Legat. <clears throat> According to the numbers on Tapology, Pretoria is the favorite. 82% of the votes, only 18% coming in for Rua. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. If you've watched Rua recently, it hasn't been a positive run for him recently. And in the case of Ihor, he's been a little bit on exciting, on fire, right? Details on these two fighters. Let's start with Rua. Born in 1981. 41 years old, from Brazil. He's a boxer, brawler, right-handed stance. He's fought 41 total fights between amateur, pro, boxing, you know, exhibition bouts, the whole nine. 41 bouts. Very impressive. Average fight time of about 10 minutes, 9 minutes, 11 seconds. So he's going about two full rounds over the course of his whole career. Now, not recently. Not recently. 3.57 strikes per minute, absorbing 2.77. Positive striking ratio, but not a very high output. Landing two takedowns per 15 minutes. Now, recently, again, I haven't seen that from him, but over the course of his career, he has been a guy who can get you to the ground. Could that happen here? I don't know. At this point in his career, he's more of a stand-up boxer, brawler. He has a 48% takedown defense. I don't think that'll be tested because Ihor is the kind of guy who he also wants to fight in the feet. He likes a good old stand-up bar brawl. We gave Rua a 2.17 GPA. Again, the GPA is a grading system of A through F. We consider experience, cardio, striking, fighter IQ, finishing ability, and grappling. It's hard to get the legendary Rua only a 2.17, but the reality is there's other things going on now. His cardio is depleting. <clears throat> His grappling is not as effective, and so it is what it is. He went professional in 2012. He made his UFC debut in 2007. He fought some guys you might recognize, John Jones. Leota Machida, Forrest Griffin, Chuck Liddell. So, yeah, he has literally fought the best of the best and deserves to go out. If this is his last fight, to go out in Brazil in front of the crowd, you know, might be a nice send-off. Recent opponents, he fought OSP last year. Split decision loss. Paul Craig, 
2020 round two TKO loss, which is rough because Paul Craig's not known for his KO ability. Uh, Antonio Nagoria, 2020 split decision win. So it's been a little bit of a rough run recently. He hasn't had the success that he once had earlier in his career. Hey, when you fight like, you know, 40 some odd fights and you fight for as long as he has been fighting, uh, it happens. It happens. He had a nice win in 2018 over Tyson Pedro, but that was about five years ago. And so again, you know, he hasn't had a win since 2020, been about three years and it's getting tougher, man. The older you get in this, get in this, this fight game, it's, it's not, it's not easy, right? Now, what's the like about Rua? Number one, experience, right? Fought some of the best fighters in the game. Has KO power. His wrestling's pretty good. Wrestling's pretty good. KO power's there. But that's all, again, reflections of the old version of Rua. You know, my concerns for him, he's declining. He's 2-3-1 in his last six fights. Durability's becoming an issue. He never was the fastest guy. And as you age, just everything slows down. He's slowing down a bit. It's happening. As for the Ukrainian, Ihor Pintoria. Born in 1996, I graduated from high school in 1996. My goodness, I'm getting old. He's 26 years old, from Ukraine, out of Lagat Gym. He's a boxer, southpaw stance, has fought 24 total fights between amateur and pro. Average fight time, only six minutes and seven seconds. So most of his fights are not going much past the, you know, first round, second round type of situation. He averages about 4.58 strikes per minute, observing 5.89. <clears throat> that would have been the last fight he had. <laughs> against Negomorano. And uh, we'll talk about that fight in a second. But yeah, he has a negative striking ratio in a small sample size, only been in the UFC for what, one fight, you know, contender series, that type of thing. So small sample size. No takedowns so far in the UFC. Has 33% takedown defense. So again, takedowns should not be a factor in this fight. I don't think it's gonna be a factor. Now, if Rua decides to go to the ground and he catches Ihor a little bit tired, you know, that could be something here. With 33% takedown defense for Ihor, that doesn't bode well. We gave Ihor a 1.5 GPA. The big areas of deficiency for him are fighter IQ and experience. <clears throat> He's from Ukraine, we mentioned before. He went pro 2015. He had a 2-1 amateur career. He fought in WWFC, part of the UFC. And he earned his UFC contract with a Dana White Contender Series win two years ago, 2021. His most recent opponent, Nikolai Negamorano. Last year, round two TKO loss. He was a plus 115 pick him. And let me tell you something about that fight. If you go back and watch it, took a beating, man. He took a beating. He took a like four or five knees to just the face. I don't know how he didn't lose some teeth right there because his mouthpiece had come out. And it was hard to watch. I, I didn't like seeing him take those, I don't know, last three or four knees to the to the face, you know. And uh, Nick Brano wasn't doing anything wrong. He was drumming the fight. But Ihor went to a place that... Uh, most people never go to <laughs> a, a deep, dark place. And he didn't come out uh, on top and really got his ass beat up. So I'm a little concerned about that whooping he took. It was last year, but it still was a hell of a whooping. On the flip side, you could say, well, he's got a lot of heart. Didn't give up. Showed a good chin. He went out like on his feet, basically. They called TKO. He dropped to the ground like right after they, they called it. But yeah, tough, tough situation there. His prior fight, Lucas Sadolsky, that was on contender series. He was a plus 165 underdog. He won the fight, round one TKO win. And Lucas Sadolsky, who we were on to win the fight, a Polish fighter from like KSW, he, pretty good fighter. That was a nice win for, for Ihor. Unfortunately, you know, his debut didn't go as well. Now, what's the like about Ihor? He's a southpaw. That in itself is, you know, a little bit of a wrench for mo most fighters. A lot of power in his hands. And he's got a lot of heart. We talked about it. The guy's 
So to go out there and fight his ass off, he's going to not go down from one punch. He's going to hang in there when he's hurt. You know, you like those things. <clears throat> and what's the concerns for Ihor? Well, grappling, you know, he did not do a great job of defending his takedowns against Nigga Murado. Um, his takedown defense says what it is, 32%, right? Sometimes you are what your numbers are. His hands are super low. Um, it's just the way he fights, you know, he's a, he's a brawler. He's not up here, you know, <laughs> he's like down here and, uh, so he's hittable. His cardio, you know, he looked exhausted when he went to round two of his last fight. He looked just exhausted. Now, granted, maybe he blew his water round one, maybe the UFC, you know, debut, all that stuff, but he looked tired, man. So cardio, I have question marks there. <clears throat> then lastly, I mentioned before the damage, not all losses are created equal. And you get in a situation like this where you take such a bad whooping, um, it could forever change you. And that was a bad beating, you know, so the spots we like for this fight, we like the under two and a half rounds at minus 200. The fight does not start round three. Ehor by round one KO and just Rua by any time KO at plus 500. I mean, imagine this. We get to round two. They're both tired, you know, but Rua's got just this little extra energy from the crowd. They're cheering him on. One of the last fights on the prelim card, right? And, you know, you've you know got the energy, the little extra oomph, and next thing you know, he lands that punch. No one's going to be that surprised. You know, Ihor is still very new, still wet behind the ears. Play that prop, man. Anytime KO by Rua, plus 500. And if you want to cover everything here, just under two and a half rounds, I don't see how this fight goes anything past two full rounds, put it that way. If you're following us on our newsletter, on, on Twitter, whatever else, we've put our picks out already for this fight. They're all out there. Full tip sheet and our betting spots, our parlays. But... We like Ihor again here to win by a KO, more than likely in round one. But man, if he doesn't get it done in round one, start sweating, baby. Start sweating. That's your pick, guys. Let's move on. What do we have here? A light heavyweight bout. 205 pounds between Paul Craig, or Craig, how you want to say that, from Scotland, versus Johnny Walker from Brazil. For those who have time constraints and need to keep it moving because you're busy, give you the pick right now. Johnny Walker into the distance is the pick. Now, if you're taking Walker into the distance as a prop, that's minus 135. I was floored to see that. I'm like, wait a second, dude. Give me some plus money there. No, no. He's a minus 190 favor in the money line. So into the distance has him at minus 135. I get it. I don't get it. All right, back to the breakdown here. So light heavyweight bout, 205 pounders. Paul Craig, who goes by the Bear Jew, love that nickname, 16-5-1 overall for one of his last five fights, a dog here at plus 160, based out of Coatbridge, Scotland, 35 years old, 6'3 in height with a 76-inch reach, and if you don't know, this man is a submission guru, submission master, submission like catchy in round three, but like 10 seconds left, you've been winning the whole fight next to you, know you're giving up your arm. The dude has the ability to submit you even after you hurt him off his back. Yeah, very dangerous, very dangerous. He's had a Scottish hit squad. Now, as for Johnny Walker, the Brazilian, be fighting at home, 19-7 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights. A favorite here at minus 190, and quite frankly, too much of a favorite, if you ask me. We do have a straight-up play on Paul Craig to win outright. <clears throat> I'll tell you that right now. So Walker is from... Brazil, but now is based out of England, where he trains out of SBG Ireland. And I believe Mr. Walker has trained at a few 
known places around the world. He settled there, and so that's where he's, you know, sort of lying, lying his bed, right? He's also engaged, I believe, or married recently. Anyway, so the Brazilian slash now English fighter, Mr. Walker, is 30 years old, six foot six, three inches taller than Paul Craig, with an 82 inch reach, about a, oh gosh, six inch reach advantage there. And again, now based out of SBG. Now, on paper, you first look at it and say, oh, Walker's got a you know good winning percentage, maybe a few more fights. He's taller, you know, very athletic. And you want to just sort of gravitate towards that side. But that's what Paul Craig does to you. <laughs> you know, Paul Craig, like, he's like a magician. You know, he, he, he makes you think that the other guy should win. And next thing you know, he's winning the fight. Um, I would not bet on Johnny Walker here in the main line. I would stay away from that. I think there's some better spots. We'll talk about it. It's not that I don't like Johnny Walker. The guy's, you know, got a great physique, got a lot of potential. I just think that he's in a scary spot with this fight. <laughs> I think Paul Craig is a little bit of a a problem. All right, so let's talk about these guys in particular here. So Paul Craig was born in 1987, 35 years old. He's a grappler. He'll fight out of a orthodox stance, right? He's orthodox right hand. He's fought 28 total fights between amateur, pro, whatever else. Average fight time, 8 minutes and 7 seconds. Lands 2.47 strikes per minute. Absorbs 2.79. So carries a negative striking ratio, but that's like whatever for him. He don't care. He's like, listen, just get on the ground with me. Let's roll around the ground. Averages 1.85 takedowns per 15 minutes. Has a 50% takedown defense. He doesn't care about defending takedowns. You want to take him down, he'll welcome you into the guard. So I'm even surprised he even has 1.85 takedowns per 15 minutes because the guy doesn't even need him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just He can lay on the ground. If you go down there with him, you will find out. Ask Jamal Hill. For a grade, we gave Mr. Paul Craig a 2.50 GPA where his biggest deficiency is in his striking. Recent opponents for Craig, he fought Vulcan Odesmir, lost the fight last year by decision as a plus 130 pick'em. He beat Nikita Krylov last year, round one submission win as a plus 165 underdog, just like this spot, you see? And he was losing the fight. He was definitely losing the fight in round one, was getting, you know, bounced around, his head was bouncing off the canvas, getting punched, and then, and then the submission. Jamal Hill, two years ago. 2021, round one submission win, and in a fight where he was a plus 220 underdog, and he was again kind of getting stroked a little bit by Jamal Hill until <laughs> Jamal Hill engaged in the ground, and then Jamal Hill found out. Prior fight, Magomed Ankalaev, a 2018 round three submission win. Yes, he submitted Ankalaev about five years ago as a plus 550 underdog, and this is why you never can underestimate Mr. Craig. He's not the kind of guy you want to bet against. <clears throat> Just don't do it because for him, the window of an opportunity is like a sliver. And if it comes, that's it. It's over. It could be a normal move by Walker. Just a normal defensive move. Next thing you know, Aladdin. You know, so for Paul Craig, for me, it's it's the obvious. The guy's got amazing submission ability. The, the negatives on him, he's not a good stand-up fighter. He's a bit chinny. I swear he got like knocked out in that <laughs> Krylov fight. Like knocked out, came back, was like, oh, I'm back in the fight. Here's an arm. Let me pull this arm bar or whatever. You know, so a little chinny, gets cracked in the feet. Um, very one-dimensional. <laughs> no question about that. But if you're going to be one-dimensional, be Paul Craig because he's very good at that one dimension. Now that's for Johnny Walker. Born in 1992 from Brazil, right-handed fighter. He's a kickboxer, grappler. 26 total bouts between amateur and pro. Average fight time of seven minutes and one second. Lands about 3.26 strikes per minute, absorbs 2.64. 
averages about a half a takedown per 15 minutes, so not much of a takedown guy, and has 58% takedown defense. We gave him a grade of 2.67. He's a very balanced fighter, good experience, good finishing ability, grappling's on point, striking looks beautiful, especially when he's you know, full of energy at range, long legs, looks great. His cardio fighter IQ, you know, we, we can we can we can debate about those areas, but uh nice striking. Recent fights for him. He fought Ian Kutalaba last year, around one submission win as a plus one since he underdog. So both these guys are winning their recent fights as dogs. That's so important to make sure that we note. He fought Jamal Hill, 2022. Round one KO loss. He was a plus one in the underdog, and Hill starts the hell out of him. One of the knockouts of the year. And kind of put Hill on, or people on notice about Hill. And then he fought Thiago Santos, 2021 decision loss as a plus 130 pick him. Not a terrible loss. Santos is very dangerous and Walker the full distance. So, you know, you can live with that. What's the like about Walker? Grappling. He will go for submissions from his back and he knows how to reverse positions. He's very athletic on the ground. High finish rate. Last five wins have all been by finish. Four KOs and one submission. What else do I like about Walker? His size. He will always have the size advantage. He's just a long, big dude. Probably gains a lot of weight from the weigh-in to overnight. Just a huge frame. Reminds me of like Pereira. And he's a balanced fighter. He does a lot of things very well. I mean, he's a good grappler, good striker. Now, what are my concerns for Walker? Durability. He has been finished in five of his seven defeats. He's two and four in his last six fights. Inconsistent recently. And striking defense has to improve. He doesn't get hit often, according to his stats. But when he does get hit, it's like power shots. And look what happened against Jamal Hill. So those are my areas of concern. My last few thoughts in this fight here, from a betting perspective, I like Walker instead of distance at minus 135. A fight doesn't go the distance at minus 550, which is crazy. That's a little bit chucky. Might be a parlay piece for you. And Craig by submission at plus 275. Look, both fighters have realistic paths to victory. They both can find a way to win here. They both have ways to do it. I just think if you're going to bet on, on on Walker at minus 190, minus 2 to 1, the value's limited. So if you have to bet on the main line, I think you got to take a look at Craig. But the official prediction is Walker is at a distance at minus 135. That's your pick, guys. Let's move on. Next up, we've got a female bout in the flyweight division, 125 pounds, between Jessica Andrade, the Brazilian fighter, and Lauren Murphy. The pick here is going to be Jessica Andrade to win the fight by decision. Now, I look, I get it. Most people are like, oh, Andrade can finish her. She finished some other fighters. I get it. But Lauren Murphy went to the fourth round against Shevchenko. And so with Murphy, she's getting older, 39 years old, whatever. I got it. But she's a very durable fighter. Don't count her out from the standpoint of at least going to the scorecard. So I like Jessica to win the fight. But I think Lauren Murphy does enough to make it like a fight, put it that way. All right. The base of these two guys here. Let's look at Andrade. 23-9 overall, 3-2 in the last five fights. A minus 460 to minus uh, 450 favorite out of Piranha, Brazil, 31 years old. 5'1 highway, 62-inch reach and trades out of Piranha Valature. Excuse me, Piranha Valturo. <laughs> As for Lauren Murphy, who goes by Lucky. 16 and 5 overall, 4 in her last 5 fights, a big dog here, plus 350 and plus 370 in that range. Out of Houston, Texas, 39 years old, so age is a factor here now. She's about 8 years older than Andrade. 5 and 5, so she's taller, with a 68 inch reach, with also a reach advantage. Now for Andrade, she's always the shorter fighter, she's more of a compact fire hydrant. But for Lauren Murphy, 
this is an important factor. If she can work from range, that would be a way for her to, you know, pick apart Andrade a little bit. Not pick her apart harder, but like land the punches that can maybe help her to win around. Now, Murphy's trained a lot of spots. It says here on Tapology's at MMA Lab, but she's been all over the place, so I, I don't know where she's at now. According to Tapology, Andrade is the big fair, getting 95% of the votes, and it makes sense. I do like Andrade too. I just don't know that it's going to be by finish. Some details on these two fighters here for Lauren Murphy. She's right-handed, born 1983. She's a boxer wrestler, has 22 total fights between amateur, pro, MMA, exhibition, the whole nine. Average fight time, 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Right there, it tells you Lauren Murphy tends to go long in her fights, right? She's landing 3.84 strikes per minute, absorbing 4.45, a negative striking ratio. Averaging 1.11 takedowns per 15 minutes, it has a 71% takedown defense. Her grade we gave her was a 2.00 GPA. Her biggest area of deficiency is her finishing ability, but you know that's with most females. In the case of Murphy, yeah, she doesn't get many finishes. Murphy's from Anchorage, Alaska. She's a former Invicta FC Bantamweight champion. She went professional in 2010. She has a brown belt BJJ. She was also in the Ultimate Fighter in 2017. She lost her first match in that in that uh, in that show. Her father died of a plane crash when she was 11 years old, and it led to her going through like a transition point in her life like drugs alcohol you know probably teenage just poor decisions right <laughs> she has a son from a prior relationship and she's a recovered you know drug addict and she kind of found some of her recovery through mixed martial arts her last three fights misha tate a win last year as a plus 175 dog in a fight that i was so sure misha tate would win <laughs> i learned that day before that valentina shevchenko a round four TKO loss as a plus 850 underdog. I'll take it. She went to round four with Shevchenko. That's why I think she gets through round three here with Andrade. Prior fight, Joanne Wood, two years ago, 2021, split decision win as a plus 110 pickup. What's it like about Lauren Murphy? Experience, durability. She tends to win close decisions, you know, maybe not in Brazil against a Brazilian fighter, but she tends to get the scorecard, you know, the benefit. And the size advantage, she'll have a size advantage in this matchup. My concerns for Murphy, the negative striking ratio, she's a bleeder, tons of scar tissue. If you just blow at her, she'll start bleeding. Her speed, you know, I don't know if she was ever fast, but like it's, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's robotic at times. It's not very fluid. Like she doesn't let her hands go like, let's say like Sean Strickland. I know it's a male versus female comparison, but just, you know, it doesn't let her hands go and, uh, Gets a little more like more robotic, robotic kind of movements. Her striking defense is lacking. Her head movement is lacking. And she has no finishing ability. As for Jessica Andrade, former UFC champion from Brazil, training out of Parana Valturo, a boxer, 31 years old, right-handed fighter, has fought 34 total bouts between mixed martial arts and boxing, amateur, the whole deal, exhibition, you got it. Average fight time, surprisingly, about nine and a half minutes. So she's tending to go almost to the full two rounds, which again lends towards the idea this fight goes to decision. She lands 6.16 strikes per minute, absorbs 5.16, so has a positive striking ratio, but not by much. Averaging just under three takedowns per fight with a 65% takedown defense. We gave her a 2.67 GPA. Her biggest areas of deficiency are in striking and grappling, um, but they're not that deficient because again, Jessica Drogge is a former champion. She knows how to handle her business in there. Andrade grew up on a family, or I'm sorry, on a farm in Brazil. She was part of like a family farm. Like I'm talking like farming every day. That's how she grew up. 
she was a really good soccer player and at one point her family had the opportunity for her like to move away like to move to like a college like environment campus dorm for for soccer and they said nah you're not leaving we don't want you to leave the home and so she gave up soccer at some point and moved over to mixed martial arts to stay you know closer to home and still be athletic and now she's here where she's at right former ufc strawweight champion a black belt btj she's tied for the most finishes in women's ufc history with five she has the first and only arm triangle standing choke in ufc history she won performance of the night or friday night a combined nine times in ufc and she's the second most fights in ufc women's history with 21. jessica andrage yeah <clears throat> we're gonna learn today right her recent opponents she fought amanda lamos last year won the fight standing arm triangle choke round one submission win as a minus 230 favorite she beat cynthia calvillo 2021 round one tko win as a minus 240 favorite she lost to shevchenko two years ago 2021 round two tko loss as a plus 350 underdog and so there's that comparison again she fought shevchenko lost in round two murphy fought shevchenko and lost in round four i don't think jessica's better i'm sorry i don't think lauren murphy's better than jessica i'm not saying that i'm just saying like that's where again i feel as if if murphy can just you know just be murphy she probably gets to fight his core cards that's just you know sort of my thinking one more fight here to talk about caitlin chu kagan 2021 round two tko win as a minus 160 favorite what's to like about jessica what does she do well championship experience right she's a former champion herself has fought some of the top fighters like you can't quantify how valuable that is right finishing ability she's one of the highest finish rates in all of women's mixed martial arts history her punching power is legit she's not going to tap you with a bunch of jabs and like pepper you with leg kicks she's going to try to crack you that's what she does home court advantage at some point some of these fights here are going to be affected by the home court advantage the crowd and the you know the the brazilian yellow and the the green the flag and the people all jacked up i mean brazilians know that mixed martial arts the cornerstone of mixed martial arts is partially Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like, you know, this is cornerstone of the sport, right? And so that whole energy, main card event, and it's going to be there. And so I think that's going to be a factor in this fight will help her, you know, get the extra cojones or cojones to win the fight. My concerns for Andrade are she has done it all. She's been to the mountaintop, champion the whole night. Could you, like, lose motivation at some point? Could you have a slip of the focus, you know, because you've been to the top of the mountain, you know, you're trying to get back there. It's, you know, it's tough. It's tougher getting back than it is getting there the first time. Most champions will tell you that. So I wonder about that. She's a second-tier fighter if you look at how she's matched up against, like, Shevchenko, right? She's second-tier now. Like, top-tier, like, you know, Wally Zhang and the Shevchenkos, those are the top-tier fighters and the Rose Amiunises. And I feel as if... With Andrade, she's like right there, right below. And so that's not a not a knock on her, but it just kind of is what it is. She's a second-tier fighter, not top-tier at this point in her career. Her durability is actually a question mark for me. She's been finished in five of her nine defeats. Now, it's not like a outrageous number, but still, half the time she loses, she gets finished. Now, in this fight, I would be so shocked if Murphy finishes her, but just putting it out there. She's three and three in her last six fights. That shocked me. She's been at 500 in her last three fights. Now, or six fights. Now, granted, it's against good competition, but still, that, that goes back to what we said before. A second tier fighter, right? Not top tier. And last but not least for my concerns for Andrade is her striking defense. I mean, she has a positive striking ratio, but it's not by a lot. She gets hit pretty, pretty often. Now, again, here against Murphy, I just... It's hard for me to imagine Murphy like landing four or five 
punch combinations and being fluid, but that's not really Murphy's style, you know. So it may not hurt her in this fight, but you know, long term again, this is where I think Andrade has now kind of found herself like right below those Shevchenkos, like in that second tier um, of this division. The betting spots I like for this fight are the fight going over around a half, which is minus 275. The fight starts round three at minus 165. Andrade is at the distance at plus 110. Murphy by split is plus 2200. Just do it. Just put $5 on that to make 100 bucks or $100 and change. A $5 bet at plus 2200 to make 100 bucks and change. Just do it. Murphy by split seems to me like the way it happens if she wins. Andrade by split, though, is only plus 700, just to give you an idea of how different it is, right? Um, it would be hard for me to, to think that Murphy wins by split in, you know, Brazil. But shit, man, shit happens, right? It's a women's fight. Do not get over... Don't get distracted by the fact that uh, Andrade had that stand-up submission, triangle, choke thing, whatever. Flash in the pan. This fight is going deep. It's probably going to the scorecards. That's our prediction. We like Andrade to win by decision. But again, by decision goes to the full distance. That's our breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Moving up the card, we've got a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between Gilbert Burns, Darinho from Brazil, versus Neil Magny, the American fighter. This fight's a tough one, guys. In our prediction, initially, in our breakdown, we have Gilbert winning by decision. That props at plus 165. But the more I look at this fight, and the more I look at the numbers, you got to put a play on Neil Magny if you're betting the money line here, because Neil Magny has a path to victory and Burns is at the all-time highest point of his like stock value. He lost to Chemaev, but like put on a show. People are thinking that he's going to put that same type of show on. If he could fight against Chemaev like that, then he should be able to beat Neil Magny and you know MMA math, which never you know, always gets us in trouble. So here's what I'm going to tell you guys: If you follow our newsletter and our notes and our breakdowns, you know that we do like Gilbert Burns to win by decision. But I'm going to take a, a I'm going to veer right here. I'm going to take a turn. I don't like that pick, and I think Neil Magny has a legit shot here. So you know, be very weary of betting Gilbert Burns, especially as a parlay piece. That's where he's going to be a, a popular parlay piece. He's in Brazil. I get it. The Chum Chamaya fight. I get it. This money line's off though, and Neil Magny is a gamer. You know, so I'm going to stick with Burns still winning the fight. But man, I'm telling you that uh, be very careful here against Magny. All right, break down these two guys. So Burch is 20 and five overall, three to his last five fights. A big favorite here, as we mentioned before. He's from Brazil, but now based out of Florida, 36 years old, five foot 10 high with a 71 inch reach. He trains out of Kilcliffe and May, known as uh, Sanford and May, down in Florida. As for Neil Magny, the Haitian sensation, gotta love that nickname, 27 and nine overall. Sneaky amount of experience, right? Three into his last five fights, a big dog here from Dalton, Illinois. 35 years old, six foot three in height, will have about a five inch height advantage with an 80 inch reach, about a nine inch reach advantage here over the Reno. And Neil Magny trains where? Elevation fight team. You see, Neil Magny weaponizes cardio, and we know that Gilbert Burns is not known as being a cardio monster. According to Tapology, Burns is a 93% favorite to win. Wow. Wow. I, I you know. I'm going to say it now. Neil Magny has a hell of a shot to win this fight. <laughs> okay? He does. And so those numbers are a little surprising to me. 
Looking deep in the numbers here, for Gilbert Burns, he was born in 1986, 36 years old. He's a balance fighter. He has plenty of ground skills, also good at the feet. He's right-handed. He's fought 47 total bouts between grappling, mixed martial arts, amateur, and pro. A lot of experience, almost 15 total you know, competitions in combat sports. Average fight time, 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Lands about 3.46 strikes per minute, absorbs 3.21. Averages two takedowns per 15 minutes and has 47% takedown defense. What do we know from that? Well, we know that his striking ratio is not amazing. His striking output is also not amazing. His striking defense is questionable. And his fights tend to go into round two. We give him a 2.83 GPA in our report card. Maybe a little bit high, but you know that fight against Chemayev, it's hard not to give him a good grade. You know, he showed endurance, he showed heart, he showed balls, <laughs> balls, right? He has a tremendous grappling background. A matter of fact, if you look back at his just total grappling bouts and what he's done there, yeah, the dude's legit. He went professional 2007 after one amateur bout. He signed the UFC about nine years ago, 2014. And he's fought 18 times in the UFC. Tons of experience. His last fight, of course, we all know he fought Kamsat Chemaev. He was a plus one underdog. And he gave Chemaev all that Chemaev could handle. He fought Stephen Thompson before that, 2021, decision win. And a win that was like, you know, kind of a boring fight. People were booing. He, you know, got some takedowns, position control, but it showed good fighter IQ. He was a plus 130 underdog, got it done. 2020, a round three TKO loss to Kamar Usman as a plus 25 underdog where he knocks down Usman in round one. Is is Dorino the kind of guy who will always be like, you know, rated highly because of how he did against someone that he lost against? Is that what we're talking about here with this guy? Like, he's a good fighter. Like, remember when he lost against this guy who's like much better than him, but like he lost against him, but he lost against him this way. I mean, what we're talking about now is that he lost against Usman, but he knocked down Usman. He lost against Chemaev, but, you know, he, you know, gave him all he could handle. So I'm just saying. He has a decision win over Tyron Woodley, 2020, as a plus 150 underdog. So he's fought some good competition. The strength of schedule, no question. He's got that in his bag, right? Veteran experience, 18 total fights. He's an active fighter. Fights about once, twice a year. The chin, the heart, all check out, right? So there's a lot of positives about Burns. My concerns, he tends to hit like the proverbial wall with the gas tank. So when he gets tired, it's like, not a little tired. It's like, I'm exhausted, dude. That's a problem with a guy like Neil Magny, who has, you know, weaponized, you know, his, 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 uh, he's weaponized cardio as part of his arsenal. Like for him, it's like, as long as I'm just stronger, faster, more energy, less deep breaths than the fight, I can take advantage of you. And with Burns, you know, that's been Achilles heel for him. Also for Burns, he gets a little reckless. I mean, look at the fight against Chemayev. I mean, I love the action. It was exciting, but shit, reckless at best. And then for Burns, his finish rate. He has one finish in his last seven fights, so he's not much of a finisher. Will he need to finish here? I'm not saying he needs to finish to win the fight, but if he's behind, let's say, a round or two, needs to finish, it's not going to be you know, likely. As for Neil Magny. From Illinois, born 1987, a right-handed fighter as well, a kickboxer, very long limbs, arms, has 58 total, 58 total combat sports fights. So amateur, pro, grappling, whatever, all combined, 58. The guy can grapple. He's super tall and long, but don't get it twisted. He can grapple. His average fight time is 12 minutes and 48 seconds, so it tends to go longer. 
lands 3.62, strikes per minute, absorbs 2.27. So not a high volume and not an amazing striking ratio. And again, here's where it's surprising, averaging 2.43 takedowns for 15 minutes. So this is a very tall, long fighter, but still active in the ground game. And he has 57% takedown defense, 57% takedown defense, excuse me. We gave him a grade of a 2.0. And uh, his last few fights, he fought Rodriguez last year, had a round three TKO win as a minus 110 pickup in a fight where we liked Rodriguez. But man, Magny pulled it off. He survived the storm early on. Cardio was a weapon, round three TKO. He got submitted in 2022 last year by a guy you might have heard of before, some guy named uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. <laughs> this guy's amazing. He was a big dog in that spot, lost the fight round two. I mean, I don't know how to analyze that because Shavkat's like a different level, but he's not. You know, Basically, I would say that Neil Magny's not at that level, put it that way. <clears throat> he got a split decision win over Max Griffin last year as a minus 275 favorite. I remember that fight because, man, it was so close. It was so close. Uh, Jeff Neal. Two years ago, 2021, decision win. Jeff Neal's on this card. I'm sorry. No, Jeff Neal's on this card. Jeff Neal's fighting uh, Rachmanov coming up soon, right? So he beat Jeff Neal two years ago by decision as a plus once he's the underdog. So he's got some good fighters under his belt, has fought some, obviously, championship-level guys like Shavkat, and has done well, held his own. What's to like about Magny? His size. He's going to have a, almost a 10-inch reach advantage in this matchup. That is going to be a factor if Burns cannot finish him or squash him or bring him to the ground. There's going to be that size factor, that, that advantage there. His wrestling. You know, the one thing about Magni is, like, he's he's just – people forget about the wrestling. Like, the guy's had a lot of grappling. He's got good wrestling skills, good grappling skills, good submission skills. If the fight's on the ground, you want to think that all of a sudden, oh, Burns has the advantage. Pump the brakes are not so much. You know, this guy Magny is very sufficient on the ground, has good submissions, got a very long frame. If you know anything about these longer guys, Nate Diaz is a longer fighter. He's longer, thinner, not like all jacked and, you know, <laughs> okay. Those long, thin arms, those blades where you can elbow and then also tie in neck chokes and stuff that are unique because you have long limbs, he has that. And his kicking attack. His kicking attack is very good. He can kick you with teeth kicks he can kick you with head kicks you know leg kicks super long legs just makes it you know difficult to sort of get close to him for burns he needs to get close right and for magni he's got that weapon of kicking you from distance and touching you my concerns for magni his submission defense he has been submitted four times across his nine losses now burns has submission ability but you know it's sort of up and down but that is one of the chinks in the armor here for for magni also for magni his volume for a long fighter who has those long weapons and long legs and, you know, the, 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 should have the jab, right? He's only averaging 3.62 strikes per minute. So he needs to up the volume as far as I'm concerned. His defense, he can be taken down by a solid wrestler. He's got 57% takedown defense. So that means he's not defending takedowns very well. Again, is Burns going to do that? The numbers suggest that Burns will try to take down a two throughout the fight. If he... Put this way, if Burns fights the way he did against like Stephen Thompson, that would be smart. Get him down, hold him down, position control. And last but not least for Magni, my concern would be his finish rate. He's coming off of a submission win in his last fight. That looks good. But he's only been to one finish in his last nine fights. So that's one finish in nine fights. So don't think that he's the big-time finisher. And I don't think Neil Magni wins his fight by submission either. I think he exhausts Burns. I think if anything, he exhausts him, has the you know more striking output, looks better at the end of the fight, and then gets a, you know get down the court and scorecards. My last few thoughts on this fight here. My notes on the on the bets here. So the best spots I like for this fight are over two and a half rounds at minus one thirty. The fight starts round three at minus one fifty. 
Burns on the money line as a parlay piece. Burns inside the distance at plus 100. And Magni by decision at plus 550. Wow. Let me read that again here. So we like the over two and a half rounds at minus 130. The fight starts round three at minus 150. Burns on the money line as a parlay piece. Burns to the distance at plus 100. And then Magni by decision at plus 550. And the more I say Magni by decision at plus 550, it's like, it's just, it's there. It's there for the taking. Burns should win. Burns at home, but Magny is not the dude to be, you know, overlooking. And so that's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. All right, guys, we're up to the co-main event, and I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of numbers and stats and all this different stuff here. We get right to it because the reality is these guys have fought a bunch of times. <laughs> Everyone who knows about mixed martial arts know who both these fighters are. Um, here's the bottom line. Both fighters have a chance to win the fight. Uh, they both have passes to victory, right? Figueroa is fighting at home. You know, okay, he's going to be excited about that. Um, you had the whole issue with Marino coming out of a camp where the camp got broken up and the whole, you know, MA Glory Fitness. You know, we've heard all about that story. So that, that could be a distraction. In my humble opinion, I think that Marino is at a point where he's the more active fighter. He fought Kakao France last year. I think he's also the one that's the more level-headed, has a, a, a sort of a broader focus on staying champion, remaining champion, and having a long career. I get the impression. I could be wrong. Figueredo, who's got a ton of potential, tends to get distracted. And this fight being in Brazil, okay, in front of his home people, that distraction, I think, will be amplified. Okay, He's a guy who's got a ton of experience. He's been a champion. He's one or two in this division, right? I'm not taking that away from him. To me, this comes down to like maturity level. Where's Moreno at in his career? This fight probably goes long. So I'm thinking it goes at least four rounds, five rounds, probably to the full decision. And the betting spots we like the most of this fight are Moreno by decision at plus 200, over two and a half rounds at minus 275. The fight starts round three at minus 400. Moreno by split decision at plus 900. And Figueroa by split decision at plus 1100. Now listen to me in the split decisions. Imagine a scenario where the fight gets close and it goes full five rounds. That is not hard to imagine. If you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, newsletter, you'll see our full plays for this fight, but we are going to put a sprinkle on the decision, on the split decision props here for both Figueredo and Moreno. This fight should be close. They know each other very well. The more times you fight someone, you don't necessarily get more aggressive. What you do is you become more aware of what they can do, and they're more aware of what you can do, and next thing you know, you have a stalemate. The people that think this fight is not going to go the full distance or talking about into the distance props, I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just less likely here because we've got two fighters who know each other so well. This will be the fourth time they fought, <laughs> okay? And for, you know, for Grado, he's fighting this guy for the fourth time in a row. Hasn't fought anyone else, but just this guy, you know, four times in a row. So... To me, it's like you got two people who know each other very well, like a brother and sister combination or two siblings or, you know, two good friends. You know each other, you know? Like, when you know someone, the first thing you do is you sort of tighten up and get conservative. You know what they do well, right? I'm, I'm going to defend against this. I'm going to defend against that. You start thinking about defense instead of offense because you know what they do well. They know what you do well. The long and short of it is it's going to be close, <laughs> super duper close. And if you're a Moreno fan and want him to win, he better do enough in three of the five rounds to be sure he gets the win because if it's super greasy and it's close, you got to imagine that the Brazilian probably wins the fight, you know, in Brazil, whatever else, right? 
And that's where the split decision prop comes into play because I can see a scenario where maybe Moreno looks like he won the fight. And the next thing you know, you got a split being called here for Figueredo at plus 1100, 10 bucks to win 100 bucks. Sign me up. That's your breakdown, guys. We like Brandon, Brandon Moreno to win the fight by decision. All right, so the main event, Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira. Jamal Hill is a slight favorite at minus 125 and Glover Teixeira at plus 105. We're going to give you a modified breakdown here because, again, these fighters are, are well-known. People know them. They've seen them fight. And uh, I don't want to bore you with a bunch of stats. I'm just going to give you the pick, how we like the pick, and some betting spots we like here. So Jamal Hill by knockout is plus 110. That's our prediction. That's what we see happening here. Glover Teixeira is long in the tooth. Great submission ability. Uh, obviously, former champ from last year. You know, there's a lot of things to like about Glover Teixeira. And if you're going to bet on him, buy submission would be the way to go. So Teixeira at plus 25 by decision, it would be the, the method of victory. It's hard to imagine over the course of five rounds that, that Teixeira is winning the, like, striking battle, right, or, or the grappling control battle enough that he's winning the scorecard. So to me, it's like submission or bust if you're betting on Teixeira. For Jamal Hill, you know, this is a five-round fight. I've never seen him go five rounds before. He's been in five-round fights before, but he never went the full five rounds. I wonder about conditioning. Um, I wonder about maturity, you know, experience level, round four, round five, how that all unravels. But the guy can box, man. His hands are serious. I think he's going to touch up Glover share at some point in round one and round two and put this guy on skates and maybe end the fight early on. We get to round four now, round five, and, and Hill has not put to share out by that point. Now I'm terrified. I'm worried about cardio. I'm worried about cardio, bad decision making, and then also give up your back. <laughs> you know, it just starts to compound the issue. For Jamal Hill, we're biased here. We interviewed him on the show last year. Great young man, tons of heart, tons of passion. We wish him the very best. And his grappling, by the way, is very underrated. People do not realize how good his grappling is, okay? Matter of fact, I, don't, I can't remember the name of his gym off the top of my head, but his gym that he trains out of there in Michigan for Jamal Hill is like a grappling base. That's their basis there. And so he often tells people like, listen, I'm good at BJJ. I, I've got a whatever. I don't know what his belt color is, but he he can grapple. And so the Paul Craig laws and people think about that, whatever. So yeah, but it would behoove him to stay away from grappling with Glover Teixeira because of the fact that's where Glover Teixeira wins his fights. Over the course of five rounds, it's going to be one of one of two things, two things, two things, right? Either Glover submits him, period, right? Or Jamal Hill is going to start him. Just it. It's hard-pressed for me to see the fight going the full distance, though. So that under four and a half, by the way, let me look it up right now. The under four and a half rounds for this fight is minus 420. I get it. It's chalky. But talk about a parlay piece. I mean, you're talking just a half a round there, right, in round five. Under four and a half rounds is minus 420. It's one of my most popular parlay pieces on this entire card. Some more props I like are the KO prop for Hill at plus 110. The sub prop for Glover to share at plus 225. The fight not starting round three at minus 165. It's hard for you to think this guy's go, you know, to three rounds. I just don't see it happening. Now, interestingly enough, the fight not going the distance is minus 650. So somewhere in the books that they realize this fight's probably not going the full distance. You know what I mean? Those are our spots, guys. Enjoy this fight. I'm not rooting for either, either side more than the other because I kind of want Glover to win. He's the old man, you know, last hurrah. Get his belt back. You know, he's got a gym up in New Hampshire. Alex Pereira is one of his, you know, pupils up there. 
But man, Jamal Hill is also a great guy to you know to root for. We had him on the show and we interviewed him, and he's a, just a great young man, a lot of positivity, and he's a good father. And yeah, man, I guess there's no real losers here, right? Because they're both winners in life. And so we're on Jamal Hill to win the fight by knockout. We think the youth advantage is there. He's going to touch up Glover to sure and get the win. That's our breakdown, guys. Let's move on. And here we are. And in the episode, guys, I want to give you a quick summary of our picks to win. We like Jamal Hill, the main event, to win the fight by TKO. Brandon Moreno to win the fight over Figueredo by decision. Gilbert Burns to win the fight by decision. Jessica Andrade to win the fight by decision. Uh, Johnny Walker to win the fight into the distance, most likely by a TKO. We're going to take Ihor Pator to win his fight in round one by a KO. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez to win his fight by a KO as well, probably in round two. So Rodriguez by round two KO over Ferreira. Thiago Moises to win his fight by submission, most likely in round one or two over Costa. Uh, Gabriel Bonfin, one of the two Bonfin brothers to win his fight over Moniz, uh, Monir Lezez. We'll take that fight to win by hmm, decision. Monir by decision. I'm sorry, Gabriel uh, Bonfin by decision. Jolton Almeida to win by a murder. He's going to finish Shamil within a round and a half, no question. I want to say TKO, but Jolton Almeida claims himself to be like the, you know, the, the Brazilian Khabib. So probably by submission, Almeida wins the fight within one and a half rounds. Terrence McKinney versus Ishmael Bonfim. The more I look at that fight, the more I think that Bonfim has a chance to win. But I'm going to stay with my initial pick. It's going to be Terrence McKinney to win the fight within round one by a submission. Warley Alves to win by submission round two. Josiana Nunez to win by a KO in round one. Cody Stidman by decision to win over Luan Lacerda. And their first fight in the card. Simone Oliveira to win his fight over Daniel Marcos. I'm going to say by submission. Those are your picks for UFC 283. Bet responsibly. Don't expose yourself too much in your bankroll. It's more fun to bet in the fights with little exposure, right? If you win, you win. You're good. But don't maximize your exposure. Don't, you know, don't uh, don't chase your losses, right? Put a little bit out there. Manage your bankroll. Have a good time. We'll see you guys on Sunday night for our Midnight MMA show. Good luck, UFC 283. Viva Brazil.